Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 157. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by my handsome son, Chris Reagan, only wearing half of his Delson Row outfit this week. Chris, how are you today? I'm good. You know, I'm good. I don't have to yeah. deal with a uh, crazy heat wave like a, it seems like the rest of the human population does. So, right. Pretty good. Not yeah. too bad. Can't complain. Good. It's not so bad in Southern California compared. I mean, the rest of the world is, to be fair, like the Pacific Northwest, not really prepared for yeah this kind of weather, you know, with not a lot of acs and central air even when i lived in san francisco really nice places no ac which is kind of crazy so stay cool out there also joined as always by executive producer of last stand media dustin Furman, wearing his metal gear shirt that's right how are you i'm doing well you know we're talking about the heat i hate to be like well the weather outside but i'm feeling great because you guys remember you got a little bit of the the glossy dustin at the end of sacred symbols because my old air conditioner in this room uh, just simply was too loud. But now, you know, I got a new one that's very cool. I'm rocking a very nice 73 degrees. Nice. So I Look no longer have to suffer and be a, a moist boy. Ooh, Though, what was what was the other number on there? Did it say 40 something? Uh, that's the that's the humidity. I've got 44% oh, okay. humidity. Which is okay. I was afraid that it was some nonsense having to do with the metric system or Celsius or something. Oh, no, we can't have that. Throw that in the garbage. No. I can't. You ever think about how, and this is just obviously, it's the case with everything. It's the case with money and, and all, 
how you just don't understand how anything works outside of the metric that you understand. It's like learning another language. Like you have to think in a whole nother way. Yeah. I understand what $5 is, but then like you're like 500 yen. And then I'm like, well, that's roughly $5, but they have a weak economy. And right. Yeah. So it's always interesting with degrees because sometimes I'll watch like European news and they'll have like, you know, the weather and it's like, you know, it's 17 degrees in London. I'm like, what? Doesn't make any <laughs> sense. I don't understand what that means. So just I just wanted to encourage everyone to get the imperial system if they could. By the way, I just finished working out. And I am so hot right now. That's why I'm, I'm doing this because otherwise my you have to understand. I've been wiping my face with towels on the shows because I, I, I roll right into the show after working out. I feel best after I work out and I feel like my energy is highest. Yeah. You know, but I was running late today because I'm dealing with issues around the house. You know, I'm just coming. I'm just coming too close now. So I just needed to give my body a little time to breathe yeah. and maybe give everyone a little bit of a show, depending on your if you like, you know, middle aged fat white men. Mm. I said I was, you know, wasn't moist because of the heat. I might be moist for other reasons, though. I mean, depending on the angle. All right. Well, I think I'm all right to put my shirt back on. Hold on a second. You know what else, too, is my my headphones get so, so we were talking. I think I was talking about this on another show. <laughs> like yeah. my your ears just exude heat. Have yeah. you ever noticed that if you ever come in and put headphones on or whatever? Well, like, yeah, it's so hot. It's piping, literally piping out of my ears right now. So hold on just a moment. Some some major uh, ear sweat concerns. Yeah, I walked What's around. I walked around in Los Angeles all the time with big headphones because they were like the best way. And Colin, you might remember this every time I should, every time I would come over, I would have these big ass headphones on. Yeah. Because like, you it's just the best way. It's just the best way not to have to talk to Uber drivers, you know? <laughs> so oh, like, defi definitely. So like I would wear them all the time, but then like, you know, I'd get home and I'd be like, it'd be sweaty. You know, it's hot. Oh, it's yeah, it's, it's hot, hot, dude. And that was wearing headphones or earbuds in the uber or being on a fake phone call in uber was the uber select before there was uber select that's how exactly. you had to do it yeah. before they gave you the option <laughs> and i was outraged to be in an uber select once in la where they had the audacity to speak anyway and it's not that i worry about that in a normal uber ride but they explicitly ask you you pay like the surcharge and it's like quiet preferred or whatever is the term they use mm. and then this guy's going off and i'm like come on man Bro, I could have taken any Uber around here. I mean, I asked you because I thought we were on the same page. That's right, so sad. What is this show about? Oh, PlayStation. <laughs> Welcome to Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast. We appreciate you. Thank you for coming. Fresh off of a, another all time high on Patreon, patreon.com slash last day media. Thank you so much for that. We're now rolling two episodes of Sacred Symbols plus our Patreon exclusive episode of this show every week now. So technically, maybe probably not by runtime, but there's more now going to be on Patreon than off Patreon. We'll make some of those free clips of those free. Obviously, all spoiler cast review discussions will be free. Uh, recent episodes include a Resident Evil 8 review discussion, which was really fun to get into. Next week, we're having uh, Rick Hogan to do Returnal, which is going to be fun. And I'm also going to do another call-in show uh, at some point coming up. So that will be fun as well. And we'll figure everything out as we go. It's going to be a lot of different permutations, a lot of different opportunities. I'm excited to get Chris involved more doing solo stuff as well. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so... Uh, support us on Patreon if you can. Thank you so much for that. Merch, lastdaymedia.shop. Want to give a shout out to the game, my most recent game, Habroxia 2. We released a free update. I don't know if you guys saw. Very exciting. Uh, it's available on PS4 and Vita right now. It'll be coming to everything else, PC, Xbox One, and Switch soon. Huge story update, new trophies, um, new modes, new game plus plus, etc. All free just for owning the game. Thank you so much. We're also bringing the game natively to PS5 and Xbox Series X and S soon, and we will have more to say about that. And hey, real quick, 
R.I.P. to River. I don't know if you guys saw this. Fallout 4's Dog Meat. Chris, did you did you uh, see this unfortunate news? I did. I did. It's always sad when a dog dies. Yeah. Irrespective of uh, could have been the shittiest dog in the world too. But like, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> like, you're right. It still would be sad because it's just like ah, you know, it doesn't know. Right. You're right. That's actually a good point. It's it's rare. I'll say it's rare for a dog to die and and that it be a celebratory moment. Yeah. You know? well, I don't. Maybe like in the game, if you're fighting some other dog or some dog, you know, wild animal in a JRPG, a random encounter, you might not want to fuck with them. But Dustin, how are you feeling about the the death of of River? Man, I it's it sucks because it makes you think about your own pets that you love. Yes. What's what's um. I think it was Jim Gaffigan. It's some comedian that's like a, getting a dog is just a future investment in one of the worst days of your life. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's a good point. I try not to. Obviously, you don't want to dwell in the I mean, technical. It's I guess it's not a fantasy. Everyone's going to die someday. But I try to you try not to dwell on it. But every once in a while, I think about my my baby girl's not always going to be with me. And that's that's hurtful. You know, it's but, it's really sad. Also, I, I think about that with my own pets, but. Just this, I was listening to a podcast about it recently, kind of like this trick that humans play on themselves in which we kind of trick ourselves about death because any real ponderance of it will crush you. Like the, the idea of finality and oblivion and all of that. And so we have like evolutionary tricks where we just don't think about it, even though we think very carefully about many other things. It's hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> you have to not. I mean, I feel like every once in a while I'm here, we're, we're getting deep here. I, um, I'll go through like a week phase where I'll think about people dying a lot because mm. I'm like, man, yeah. I've done pretty well so far. No one close to me really, really has died yet. I think, you know, great grandparents, whatever. But I'm like just a ticking time bomb. Yeah, uh, it's, before... like you're, it's like you're uh, you're uh, overdue for something. Right. Something, right. It's, exactly. it's, been, it's been fine for too long. Something crazy has got to go wrong. Indeed. At yeah. some point very soon. That is pretty fucking sad. That that's like a thing that just kind of comes up sometimes. It's true. Like. <laughs> this is getting so philosophical i know <laughs> but your life is almost like and you're one of these stops by the way a series of sad stops in which people get on and or happy stops people get on and off you know people people are born people die and the stops are inevitably coming like you just don't even know when when the stops are coming and it's kind of fucked up and, the, and it's, it goes both ways it's very interesting and so that's i think it was someone recently like lex friedman or something was talking about that about how we just we can't we literally can't ponder death as humans. If we do, it would just, you know, right. Blow you up. Oblivion. Yeah. The idea of not existing is is impossible to believe. I mean, it, Man. You know, <laughs> so like uh, so PlayStation, huh? Yeah. Dog me. What are we talking R. about I. here? All right. It was an interesting episode so far. Oh, you know, I want to give a shout out to to uh, Defining Duke because uh, our sister show run by Mr. Maddie plays. Uh, we recently said goodbye to Carrick, who is the co-host for the first 25 episodes of the show. And we're welcoming in uh, Lord Cognito. Uh, in Co it's, it's Lord Cognito, right? Because we call him Cog, right? Right. Cognito. So it's Cognito, right? So it's mm -hmm. not Lord Incognito because we just call him Cog. Yes. And uh, I'm so excited to have him with us because I think I said this when I was on his show uh, with the Lords maybe a month ago. Just such an interesting and fun energy, like a passion for games that's really all about the love of the of the sport as it were it's it's super fun and it's mm. going to bring a whole new angle to defining duke and maddie's thrill the audience seems amped up did you guys see the, the oh feedback? yeah it's been pretty good feedback has yeah. been fantastic some people thought that we should give chris to defining duke for 
future considerations. But I was 100% against that because we can't lose the the secret sauce of the show here. No. And 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 you know, and we can make him transient and he'll go over there sometimes I'm sure, but yeah, he's ours. We need the so please, the sauce. Please stop. Yeah, yeah like I can't, I can't do uh two two shows a week like that. That's fucking crazy. Yeah, That's I mean, a lot. That, I got a lot to do, lot. guys. I got a lot of I got a lot of my own shit, you know? I can't be like passed around like a like a cheap whatever you want to say. Cuz <laughs> I want to be careful. Yeah, yeah, you want to be a little you want to be kind of careful there. Glad you pulled back. Well, I mean, say whatever you need to say. Yeah. But uh well, anyway, this all comes back to R.I.P. River, the dog. We're going to miss you. Very sad to see that. Also, I don't know if you guys saw Haven. Uh, Jade Raymond's lo- uh, studio has a logo. I-, I-, I wanted to let you guys know. We were kidding about her about how they didn't have a logo. They now have a logo. Wait, guys, can we do a candid uh, for, for Twitch reacts or whatever? It's like Haven has Haven has a logo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> put that, oh put that on Twitter. There you go. My God. You must really because you cut out some of those things sometimes, I assume, when you do our thumbnails, right? For like when, when just us on video. Yeah, like to put over the thumbnail, mm. and I always think like it's probably pretty hard to fight. You probably have to probably look for a shot that doesn't me- of me not looking like I'm going to kill myself at some point. Well, right. I'm always trying it's to like- right. Well, I'm trying to balance like I don't want like the open mouth of every other thumbnail. It's like like that for everything. It's like oh, yeah. new Ghost of Shima update like that like on the thumbnail. Yeah. So it's like how it's do I get? Ridiculous. I need Colin looking happy but not too happy. And if he looks mad, then you know, which is you know the the resting face. You don't have resting bitch face, but it's just kind of a resting. I, mean, I have the same thing. People say I look angry all the time. Yeah. Do I think you, it's a smolder. Do you experience the uh, the annoyance of having to cut somebody out of a, like a thumbnail, and then the mic is kind of like, too, oh yeah. it's like too much in front of them right well that kind of actually happened if you look closely from last week which a lot of people were thrilled and disturbed at my dead space thumbnail yeah i was unsure about that you're really like up in the ante on those i'll tell you what you're really i I wasn't sure i sent it to lockmore and i'm like is this too gross or weird and lockmore's like no do it and uh so you can see if you look closely at colin's face you can see the cutout of like the mic in the corner but i was like it's fine. It's it's it, it is wait, what it did, needs did, to be. Did you just like fill in the rest of his face with like a fake face? What'd you do? Yeah, I think you can just see that it's just like slightly cut in the corner, like you know, which you know he's he looks like a weird zombie guy. So uh, yeah, Isaac could have taken a shot at me with his uh, right, you know, his nail gun or whatever the fuck it is he was fighting with. There's all kinds of tricks. And I mean, here's the thing: I'm always I'm watching you two, and if I see like Chris, you posted that picture of you in the suit the other day. You oh, know your one. boy saved that. I, I'm, yeah. I'm saving that. It just sounds creepy, but I'm saving. That. I'm like, I may need a picture of Chris like that. Spank bank for. I mean, spank bank. Of course, of course. Yeah, first I mean, of all, obviously, that's a different Default. file. Um, but sometimes they go in both, and you know, you never know when I'm going to need a picture like that for yeah. a thumbnail. Yeah, sure, smart, good. Uh, all right. What the hell are we talking about now? Oh, okay. So <laughs> there are a series of topics. So this is a pretty big episode because yeah. a lot of big news has happened. But also, there are a bunch of things we need to talk about beforehand. And of course, the games we're playing will end, as as we always do, with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience on Patreon and plenty of your Patreon inquiries sprinkled throughout, starting with Stephen Mortensen, who wrote into us and said, what's up, CDC? So Ian Garner, a dev on the indie side, uh, I'm sorry, dev on the indie game Neon Doctrine, just became relevant today. His criticism of clearly Sony's treatment of indie games went from Twitter tirade to news headline in a matter of hours. I'm sure you've seen it, so I won't rehash it here, but I got to see what you think. 
Do platform holders owe devs and pubs an equitable marketplace? I think there is a big conversation to be had here and would love to know what the roundtable thinks. So I assume you guys have seen this and, and to catch the audience mm -hmm. up in a brief way, this guy, Ian Garner, uh, worked on this game, Neon Doctrine, I guess has been in the industry a while. I don't know him personally. Uh, he's not a name I've encountered, but he has experience with PlayStation and other, I guess, hardware manufacturers and storefronts and very tacitly hid his contempt for Sony in a Twitter thread that kind of laid to bear a lot of what indie developers have been saying behind the scenes about PlayStation for some years. And and in fact, it's it was kind of frustrating to watch it all unfold because I was like, does anyone listen to this show? I mean, the answer is yes, but no one in the industry, I guess, that would write about it because we've been talking about this for a long time. And I've told you that I've talked to indie developers uh, that are not happy with Sony and haven't been for a long time and feel like things have really changed. And I guess I have some experience with that, too. And we could talk a little bit about that, although I have to explain later on. I'm a, I'm a little bit between a rock and a hard place with this. So we'll talk about that, too. And I'll, I'll lay that mm. all to bear as well. But Chris, had you, had you seen the story and what, what did you think about the way it all played out? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's not surprising to me. Like, uh, I mean, you've already said, like, we've talked about this a number of times, uh, obviously not the focal point of the show or anything. But, you know, things have come up here and every now and again where like yeah indie developers have expressed a, a fairly fairly healthy amount of uh displease with uh, the way that sony has handled a lot of independent developers and independent games especially in comparison to their attitude early on and you know earlier on in earlier console generations where it seemed a little bit more healthy and a little bit more proactive and a little bit more like indie focused this i thought it was funny though that he even bothered to hide that it was about PlayStation in the first place because it was just so clearly, so clearly. And he like didn't even because somebody was somebody, I think, tweeted underneath it. There's like, I would be shocked if this wasn't about Nintendo. Yeah. And I saw he that. was like and he said, like, be shocked. And yeah. it's like, all right, well, just I, I thought that you know? was a funny. I know the exact response you're talking about, by the way. And I thought that was funny, too, because I'm like, what? How can you read this and not think it was about Sony? But yeah, so. So what what did you make of what he was saying? I mean, it is kind of a redundancy about what we've been talking about on the show, but it really did start a huge conversation that's still ongoing today. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I don't develop games, so like I don't know firsthand like what it what what development is like on PlayStation, but like I know you know, based on your experience and based on what we've talked about that this isn't not this isn't inaccurate as far as a portrayal of how that how that scene works. The conversation that's being started, though, about like, you know, does Sony or do platform holders owe an equitable market uh, or an equitable marketplace to developers and publishers, I think is kind of an interesting one, because when you first see it, because I saw a lot of tweets that were like, ooh, shocker, advertising costs money. And it's like, I understand that layman kind of view of it. But at the same time, it's like, this is very specifically a Sony problem. It seems like because no one's really I mean, I'm sure this problem exists in some facet on Xbox and Nintendo, but not a lot of indie developers are talking about it on those storefronts in comparison to Sony. I think probably because uh, maybe Nintendo has some boon there that PlayStation doesn't have. And maybe because Xbox has Game Pass in their in their kind of back pocket, that kind of helps boost a lot of uh, otherwise under the radar games. I mean, I, I can think of like several games off the top of my head that I played on Game Pass purely because it was on Game Pass and that I probably wouldn't have touched otherwise. 
So there is like some visibility on that on those other platforms that might not be available on Sony's platform. So there is something to talk about here that is beyond just like, ooh, advertising costs money. Wow, complain more. It's like, no. Sony's handling their storefront uniquely poorly. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. I, I wonder, Dustin, what you made of this. By the way, it's worth noting, and I'm not going to get all into it. Mm. I'll talk for myself, but if you want to track it, you can go on some of the various websites out there. And a bunch of different devs have basically gone on the record and a bunch more anonymously talking to these websites, kind of reiterating everything that's been said. So that is worth noting. It's not it's not some dude. I can tell you right now, it's not a, it's not just a guy with an axe to grind. So, right. Yeah. For me, I guess. Yeah, the the fault is definitely, of course, like Sony. What Chris was saying about how there's like a uh, all you need to do. This is a quote from um, the original thread. All you need to do is spend a very reasonable minimum of twenty five thousand dollars USD to get featured. Uh, oh, and then 30% of your subsequent er- earnings. So that's where people are getting hung up on. It's like, oh, well, just pay, just, you know, you know, it's an exchange of good. Those things cost money. Advertising costs money. And it's like, well, what about just having a storefront that enables uh, visibility for new games uh, that currently just does not exist on PlayStation? Sure. I'm, I have no problem with Sony selling ad space for featured games that makes sense i think xbox does the exact same thing yeah but the problem is when developers feel like that's the only way to get any eyes on their game is through spending money through sony and to be fair when we're talking about storefronts i mean the nintendo storefront is also notoriously horrible when it comes to highlighting anything or even just navigating around like sometimes i want to just browse around and if, if a game came out a few years ago and it's not on sale there, there's no way you're gonna see it like unless you search for it or something so the other thing that's also worth mentioning um and i guess this is probably good to kind of throw this over to you colin is i don't know i'll i'll be light because i don't know what you're allowed to say and what not allowed to say but like Lily Moe's experience with working with Sony's backend is, you know, it's questionable. Like the communicate, we've talked about the communication, so we, we can say that. Like when, when there was communication back and forth about is the Vita store going to be closed or not, it's like crickets, right? Like, yeah, because they didn't even know. Like they, the people that were, that are like accounts level people don't even know the answers to questions. I mean, right, right. So it's like there, there's firsthand experience that uh, the communication and the backend is like, uh questionable um so guys hold on a second something has happened that's really important i got an email from lazy boy and they're ready to deliver my chair on i'm scheduling it right now july 3rd damn it let's go boy i'm excited All you're right, gonna be the that. laziest of boys oh my god i've been waiting for this thing like you wouldn't <laughs> believe i bought it in march i think you know, oh my God. Like fucking forever. So, all right. So about this issue, I feel like, and I said this earlier, I kind of have to, to sit on the fence a little bit mm-hmm. out yeah. of respect, not for Sony per se, who we ridicule endlessly on the show, but because of, I don't really know what we've signed as a collective unit. I am a co-owner of a developer. We are under specific, you know, assumed NDAs from our access to 
like I, I have like a, a, an app on my computers that interfaces with my PlayStation devices, my debug PlayStation devices. That's like not even known outside, you know, so there are things that like I, I've actually like looked for help with it by name and like there's not even really very much about it. So I have to respect certain things, I think. But what I can tell you are a few things and I was I wrote some of these things down. There's no doubt that the situation is completely convoluted with Sony about it used to be even worse, by the way. It used to be everything used to be regionalized and then you had to go through all of these steps. So remember, like yeah. you used to get remember PlayStation Plus games were different in Europe not too long ago. Remember, they would their games would just go up at different, totally different times, sometimes weeks, months later in the PS3 era. Games used to come out totally different times in different regions, sometimes by months. Remember, like Motorstorm, I think, came out first in Europe and then later here and so on and so forth. So it was all very weird, even in, even mm. at, with their own games. So you can only imagine how that trickled down. But you have to remember the whole PlayStation loves indies thing from the PS3 and PS or Vita into the PS4 era was real. Sony went out and found a lot of great talent making a lot of great games. You think about Guacamelee and Mercenary Kings and Axiom Verge and all of this. And it's funny, Dustin, because when you were talking about the featured stuff, I was thinking the same thing. It's not so surprising to me that they would say, like, we want a premium for this space. Sure. And I was actually always remarking that I actually just remarked. It's so funny because I was remarking to Michael like last week. I'm like, I'm surprised that they don't just plaster their own games everywhere. Because I actually pulled something up and I think today, like today it's Doom, which is even weirder, right? Because that's like a Bethesda product. So yeah. it, it's it's always it's always weird and different. But my thought was like, why don't you take the same spirit of what was used to be called, and you guys might remember called the pub fund, and, mm-hmm. inst- and institute that into this. So if, to remind people, the pub fund was basically a, a group, a bucket of money that PlayStation side producers had to loan to indie developers. In return for basically funding their games, Sony would have limited exclusivity, timed exclusivity, and the money would be paid back on the money's brought in. So games like uh, Mutant Blobs Attack from Drinkbox and Axiom Verge, famously from Tom Happ and others were funded through this. Velocity 2X was funded this way and others. And I was wondering, I'm like, why don't you have a similar spirit where it's like, okay, you want you want that spot. We look at your game. We kind of believe in it. We think there is a lot of promise here. How about we get 32% of your total sales, you know, what, like anyone that clicks on this box to buy your game, you pay 5% more to us. Like, why not have something a little more equitable or say like, we want $250,000 upfront for this big marquee thing for your million dollar game. And it's a loan and we'll take $2 out of every sale until it's paid back or something like that. In other words, have some sort of partnership and belief in the product and have it yeah. be mutual. So that people make it's it's kind of similar to the way car companies sell cars. They don't want you to buy cars cash. They want you to ideally lease them. But they, but if you're going to buy it over time, they want to give you a zero percent APR thing and stretch you out and get you on the warranty. And they, they want to milk you a little bit. And you would just think that maybe Sony would be a little more hip to this to say, like, we can make money longer term and in a more equitable way, in a more friendly way by just saying, all right, well, let's let's open this thing up and see what happens. But I can tell this is this, so this was the thing I'm going on here. I'm sorry, but it was surprising to me. I was saying earlier, like, did, does anyone like listen to what we're saying here? I got a PlayStation Vita dev kit, a second one. We already have one. It's right here. Here it is. And they sold this to us or, you know, rented it to us. And then the, a week later, shut the said that we we're going to shut the PS Vita store down. Seems like that was pretty newsworthy. 
Yeah. You know, and, and everyone seemed to conveniently ignore that, that there was like a canary in the coal line, that something was up. And then lo and behold, everything happened this way. And so I just, <laughs> I look at it through these different things. Like, I also think they have a different definition of indie. I was seeing someone and I want to get what you know, what you think about this, Chris. Their definition of indie is fucking whacked out because they really look at games like Kenna, right? Or something and be like, that's an indie game and our, and our indie showcase. And I'm like, Kenna is like probably a five or $10 million game. Yeah, that's not that's indie like Hades is indie. I don't think so. We make games on a shoestring. What real indie development is, and I'm not trying to be a dickhead, but indie development is like making money and then all that money goes into the next game and so on and so forth. Maybe you make games for $50,000, $20,000, $30,000. And so they don't seem interested in even the definition of indie. Have you noticed that they've gotten away from that? Because I I certainly have. Yeah, it it is weird that like games that seem basically AAA or like at the at worst, you could say like maybe like super polished AA you know, are, are like now considered indie games, like, uh, I don't know, a fucking goose game or whatever the hell stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I was, I was even thinking like, um, what was that? Oh, bug snacks. Yeah. Everyone's like, Oh, it's like indie darling. And I'm like, that's young horses. Isn't really an indie studio. I mean, Sony is like helping fund this thing. And yeah. In what universe is that an indie game? What, in what universe is, is that friendly to people that are struggling to make games and making, they make good ones. You know, you know why it's indie because it's not photorealistic. <laughs> that's that's i guess what you know what i mean like it's it feels like art style denotes indie for some reason which is very bizarre right it's, it's well, very confusing uh, d- does it have to do with budget also because if you think about a game like control i guess it's not indie because they have 505 as the the publisher but it kind of fits the same mold in the fact that remedy is an independent studio that made it like does it does indie mean not owned by a big publisher is that what that means at this point? I I don't think so. Because like to, to me, it's like indie. Indie, in fairness, is one of these terms, kind of like like adventure game, I feel like, where it's like it, it kind of means different things based on like right. the way that you're talking about it. Like if let's say like hypothetically, Beyonce isn't signed to a label, you know, and she puts out a song independently. She's not like an indie artist. Right. You know? Just because she's like not beholden to a publisher, she's fucking Beyonce. You know, yeah. it's a very even though it might technically be true, we know that it's just it's not the same as like some like scruffy band in Chicago like putting together like some song and and publishing it themselves. It's like it's I know this is like going into music, but I, I think it's very applicable too. Like th- it's their definition of indie seems very confusing and kind of inconsistent. And I don't really know what the solution to that is, because I feel like this is just going to persist for a while. Yeah, it's just. I don't know. I mean, Dustin, what do you think about the idea of kind of buying in a little bit? I I just feel like they are certainly buying in. I mean, it's just you could see that the difference. No Man's Sky was kind of what ended up coming out of like the, you know, the ultimate kind of thing that came out of this smaller idea that they would give money to smaller games. I remember going to these various events that they would have where it was like in, PlayStation loves indies and you'd go and it would just be all these kiosks of games you never heard of. And right. What, so what do you, what do you think about the idea of them bringing back some pub fun type thing where it, I, cause I, again, I agree with what you said. I don't have a problem with them controlling financially the storefront. It's a valuable space they can make money on. They'd be, I think foolish not to. I just think they can do it more equitably so that they can just make money in a passive way by saying, well, just different percentages or paybacks loans. I, I like that idea better. Right. Well, it's just it's such a weird situation, too, in that 
we saw PlayStation, you mentioned PlayStation loves indies or whatever. And then when that started to fade away, Nintendo like picked up that mantle like pretty promptly because I think they saw an opportunity where they were hearing that developers weren't happy with Sony. They have a console that is perfect for a lot of these indie games and it's hybrid nature, the get up and go. And so and now it's like Sony. It's so weird to me. They, they got Shuhei Yoshida, who is legendary in this company, demoted to I don't know what his, his official title is head of indies or something like that. And the only thing from outward facing that we see him do is that he's the one lining up some of these bigger PlayStation Plus titles. Like you'll see him tweet like when uh, that Annapurna game that wasn't very good was at like you could see him tweet about it or whatever. It's right. like, w- what is he doing? I'm not trying to, you know, bash him at all, but it's like you you have one of your your biggest OGs and that's his job. And all you hear about still to this day is how independent developers are not pleased with PlayStation. And you see a lot of them releasing their games on Nintendo and PC first and then bringing it to PlayStation later because they know they can get a bigger splash somewhere else. Yeah, and I'll say, I mean, we because a lot of these guys were saying like we sell very poorly on PlayStation. I must say that we sell almost all of our games on PlayStation. That's that's natural. But it is true that like you're never going to find Herboxia unless you look for it, unless you literally look for it. It's never going to be recommended to you or you're never going to be. There's never going to be like this algorithmic suggestion that you buy it or be very rare for that to happen. That all comes from word of mouth. If we uh, we just announced Herboxia 2 uh, sold 10, uh, 10, I was about to say 10 million copies. Oh, shit. 10,000. I'd be like, I wouldn't be on the show right now, probably. Because I'd probably be in the Caribbean. Mm. 10,000 copies. And we were so pleased by that. But 90% plus is, I would assume, from PlayStation. But the funny thing is, and it goes back to that system, even knowing how many games you sold on Sony is hysterical, like the way you have to do it. It's just like all of these spreadsheets. You have to just add these various numbers together. Like it, you would literally think they would say, oh, it's July 1st. In June, you sold 512 games. But it's not. It's like this literally like beautiful mind shit. And you have to go through it. And so it is true. Like sometimes you don't know quite how many games you sold. But I used to not believe that when people would say that, like, how do you not know how many games you sold? But people are like, we don't really it's in there somewhere. And we've we kind of have garnered an approximate number. We think we have our number right. It's something like 10, like total 10,210 or something right now or as of like June 30th. But those things are real. But at the same time, we we hired an associate producer as well because we couldn't deal with this shit anymore. <laughs> it was like driving Barry mad and I couldn't participate. So yeah, it's a mess. We'll see what happens with this. But uh, to your point, Dustin, about Shuhei, here's my theory. And it's not a great, I don't know if it's a, if it's a great theory for Sony, but, and maybe it's not true, but this is what I think is the man was in charge of Sony's first party some reason he was taken off of that demoted basically to this independent role so it's not even like an internal role or anything and it's not dealing with the big third party or second party partners like maybe it would be cool to say like shuhei is now in charge of x dev or something so maybe he's just not i mean he loves games he plays games he participates but clearly he's been reined in in some way he is not the same shuhei yoshida of five or ten years ago and I think that might have something to do with it, too. Maybe he's just not that passionate about it. I mean, why? He's got it's probably kids. a big difference, you know? Right. I mean, maybe yeah, he, he has just a wa- twin. Do- he has twin daughters, I believe. Maybe he just was like, this role is too intensive for me. Let's can we work on something that I this isn't 
as much of my entire life. It could be. I mean, it could it be. be. Oh, that was a dog toy. Sorry. Uh, okay. So we will keep an eye on that. Yeah. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Ben Williams wrote in, said, hey, Fats, did you see Kojima uses a mouse pad with Herman Holst on it? Does this confirm Kojima won't work with Xbox? How can he make an Xbox game while rubbing his mouse all over Herman's face? Did you guys see this picture? This was an interesting one, a weird one from one of Hideo Kojima's pictures in which the head of PlayStation Studios, Herman Holst, is indeed on on this uh, mouse pad. But I have some bad news for people because, you know, the guy Nebelian on Twitter that reports um, yeah. uh, things like video game news. I follow him. And it says that VentureBeat is reporting, and I'm on the story, so people can go look now. It says Hideo Kojima's deal with Xbox reaches key milestone. And the story says Hideo Kojima and Microsoft have signed a letter of intent that states the two parties intend to work out the details on a publishing agreement for a new Xbox game, according to sources familiar with the matter. This is a key step in the negotiations between the Metal Gear Solid creator and the Xbox company. This signifies that both parties have agreed to a generalized deal while lawyers continue hashing out the finer points. And that Microsoft and Kojima's teams have spent months discussing a possible partnership. And now is more likely than ever that these conversations will bear fruit. They're apparently cloud-based. So to answer that question, the, uh, no, it doesn't mean that. It is funny that that happens. They're obviously good friends. But Chris, what do you make of this? It seems like maybe yeah. he's gone, actually. Maybe we're going to... It's also possible he does more than one game. I mean, I can imagine Kojima doing a game for PlayStation and a game for Xbox. And in fact, that might... He might be one of the only creators that would really get away with something like that as well, like from the people in charge, because you would imagine yeah. part of this, the part of it is like, we want you with us. But I think they'll allow that to happen. And this, I think, is a big L for Sony, because it, it means that they have not given him any reason to stay. Yeah, I, I wonder. I wonder if it has a lot to do with, you know, just Death Stranding not doing as well as maybe they had hoped it would or or, or something like that. And maybe they just didn't feel like pursuing but like i i knew from the moment that xbox was like 
pouring a lot of money into like Bethesda and like trying to look for other studios that like, dude, if they don't, if they don't try to get Kojima, then it's like, I don't know what they're doing. Like, it's just like a, it would just be a wise move to try and get something going with Kojima. And it's, it seems like that's happening. If, if this bears any fruit, I don't, I don't believe that it's going to be, I don't believe it's going to be Xbox exclusive. Like I, I, I would, I would probably bet that this is probably like, if anything timed, because I just, it's hard for me to imagine a Kojima title like indefinitely exclusive to Xbox. That's like kind of hard to fathom. I don't even think, I'm not sure he would do that. I don't know Kojima super well, so I don't know that like as like as like a fact or anything. But it just seems like a weird reality. Stranger things have happened though, so yeah, it it, it does. I, I actually think that there might be some truth to what you're saying. Here's why: there could be truth, and I want I wonder what you think of this, Dustin, with your convenient shirt on today. That we know Sony and Microsoft, PlayStation and Xbox are working together on a cloud project. We know that Sony is using Microsoft's resources, as we know, right, openly, and that they've released these press releases about some sort of symbiotic relationship in rough terms between them. Maybe this is a game that will run on that service that will then maybe somehow come to PlayStation. But I think bigger than that, Dustin, is, and that's just obviously a, an out there theory, but I think the bigger than that for me is this notion that Kojima really didn't get possibly didn't get a an appetizing deal from Sony. And that either means that per Chris's point, they weren't interested in working with him again after Death Stranding, which I just find impossible to believe. Or the offer wasn't tantalizing enough because I'm not saying that he should go. They should go and buy that studio. I don't think Kojima is for sale like that. That's, that doesn't seem like he, want, he wants to make movies and do other things too. But don't you think it's strange from that perspective that you can kind of read between the lines? He must have had suitors of all sorts. And to choose Microsoft just means that what I've been hearing behind the scenes is true, which is that they're just writing absurd checks to get a lot of these games. So what, what do you make of that kind of angle? Well, I'm I'm curious... I'm trying to remember what this specific rumor was, but I remember there was something floating around that Kojima wants this, whatever this project is, it may be episodic. And I remember seeing rumor somewhere that it was pitched to Sony and they were like, we could do this, but it's not going to be episodic. Like we, they don't want to do that. But I can't remember exactly where I saw that, but I could understand that maybe Sony is a little less willing to let Kojima do whatever he wants. Obviously, the three of us loved Death Stranding. I think Death Stranding is one of the most unique and honestly, one of the most incredible games I've ever played, if I'm being honest. Awesome. Yeah, I love it. I thought it was great. But the market said differently. Uh, mm. the, the market spoke otherwise. Not mm. that it was a failure, but you can understand now, especially with Sony, their focus on blockbuster titles that they're like, we want to keep working with you, but... Uh, an episodic horror game that uh, deals in cloud-based services in ways that no one's ever seen before. Eh, maybe not. Like maybe can, can we hone this in and, as something a little more safe? And Kojima's like, "Fuck off! I'll go, I'll go talk to my buddy Phil and and get this done my way." And um, I think the other thing to consider also is just that while that this deal with Xbox sounds like it's probably happening the rumors sound uh consistent and from reputable people is that 
Is it possible that Kojima Productions is going to start doing multiple projects? They they yeah. had that second studio that was opening up uh, alongside Gorilla, right? In um in in the Netherlands, in yeah, the they, Netherlands, they, yeah. They were hiring for that studio at some point, and then it kind of went quiet. So yeah, it's possible. Right. So just because this is happening, I wouldn't say that's like Xbox. They got them. I mean, maybe they do, but maybe they don't. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. That's right. <laughs> So we'll see what happens. I'm curious about this, too. It's a great mystery, but Mm -hmm. we don't have much more to say about it right now because we just don't know for sure. I agree. It sounds like the sources are reputable. It sounds like this is going to happen with Xbox. And so now, as I mentioned, too, the only hanging chad here, as it were, is the idea of them doing something else with someone else. But it just doesn't seem I don't. I believe that they're working on multiple projects, but I just know he's more of a multimedia guy, and I know that he wants to do other things outside of games and might be great at doing things outside of games too. He's a great visionary and frustrating sometimes and certainly annoying to work with. It seems like in some way as auteurs typically are, but it bears fruit. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little, I, I, you kind of understand Sony's logic, Dustin, if what you're saying is true, just in episodic games are not popular. People don't want them. They want the game all at once. It actually goes against the entire grain of buying a complete game. You're, it's, it's what killed, obviously, um, why can't I the telltale? So, right. Anyway, we'll see. Yeah. I wanted to bring up another story, if I might. This Chris Avalone. I don't know if it's Chris Avalone or Chris Avalone. I had a teacher, kindergarten teacher, Miss Leone, and it was L-E-O-N-E. So it could be a similar thing. But this is a guy that wrote a bunch of stuff like Neverwinter Nights, I think. And uh, he worked on KOTOR 2 and he was at Obsidian and he worked worked at on other games fallout new vegas i think and dying light 2 most recently and he was accused last year of sexual impropriety by a number of women and he has sued two of them in court in california for libel and what i was reading about this and obviously uh our friend rick hogue covered this on virtual legality and other places is this is kind of a far-fetched thing that probably won't work, and it's unclear if it's actually benefiting benefiting him at all. But Dustin, I was curious what you thought about this kind of breakout because my one takeaway was with this was not—I don't know him from a fucking hole in the wall. To be honest, I've never even met him in person at any event or anything like that. But I do feel like a person, maybe not literally, but certainly figuratively, deserves to render a defense, and it shouldn't necessarily be assumed that people are always telling the truth about things but it's also possible that a person's reputation is damaged to such a degree that it doesn't really matter if they look bad doing this even if they really did it because they have nothing to lose so it could really be one of two things or one of many outcomes but i'm wondering what you thought of this whole drama i just thought it was unfair that people were jumping all over the accusations but then not really writing about the fact that he is trying to defend himself right and I think some of this ties into uh, our friend Eric Kane, who had a bit of a well, he was the first one to really write about it. Right. On yeah. Forbes. Right. And he got into a, a little bit of a spat with the editor in chief of The Gamer, who honestly, I feel like just did for some just horrendous shit uh, as far as reporting on him on yep. Chris Avalon and the way that they refused to report on the other stuff. So, yeah, that's not good. But. I will. I don't want to speak on this too much because I really am not familiar with what, what he was even accused of. I started to watch. There's like this really long, like 25 minute YouTube video, like kind of breaking down 
some of the stuff that happened and some of the evidence. And to my understanding, what's really fishy about this is that some of the accusers have gone and deleted many tweets around the supposed events uh, that may damage their story, which here's the thing, guys. Why do people keep deleting tweets? I get it. They feel like it's, it, it makes them safe. It doesn't. If, it, if you post a tweet, it's out there. Unless you're like that. If, let's say if it's a few weeks old, it's on the Internet Archive. Like, yeah, yeah. You can get it on the Wayback Machine or whatever the hell. Right. So it's like, I don't understand why people are like, oh, this is going to, you know, save me. Like, I, you, you ran this dude out of an industry, and now eyes are on you in this situation, and, and tweets get deleted it's like that's not it's not gonna save you but maybe not maybe i i don't know the full situation i just found that like really interesting so it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out too in the fact that like uh like hogue has talked about before that just like suing someone for liable is very very difficult but if there's you gotta imagine that that he knows that and he wouldn't be willing to do it. Maybe he's got a lot of money and he's just like, I, I don't care if I lose. I need to make this case and make it public so people know the truth, yeah, it, even if I lose. Yeah, it could be. I mean, he wrote a medium piece to kind of outlining some things. He actually wrote two of them. One was like this kind of truncated version and then the other was like this really long one. I agree with you. I don't know the ins and outs of the case too much. I was just really put off by just the push and pull of media and how much Fuhrer was around the accusations, which may or may not be true. But then you would think that an important follow up to that immediately would be when these these charges were filed or these accusations were filed with with the court. And it seems like like you're right. I I, when I tweeted out about it, too, I'm like, as as I understand, libel is very hard to prove. It's like much easier, apparently, to prove in places like England and and people get sued for libel all the time there. But here in the US, it's freedom of speech issue and all the rest. So, yeah, just want to keep an eye out on that as we move forward. Not much more to say. Chris, do you have anything to add about this issue? I think I would pretty much echo like everything that Dustin said. I think I think he and I are on pretty much the same exact page. We have a couple more things to talk about before we move into the games we're playing. Cole Kissinger wrote into us as many people did on Patreon. He says, hello, gentlemen. In short, what the hell is going on with the blue box situation? After last week's show, Hassan Karaman delayed the reveal of his studio's app to August. Is there more to this or is this just a guy who is in way over his head? I'm leaning towards the latter personally, but would like to hear your guys' thoughts. Thank you for the amazing content and have the, a great rest of the week. This is funny, Chris, because with what we just talked about with Kojima, it does seem now like maybe this is nothing. Yeah. And what a weird and unfortunate situation this is. What do, what do you make about this evolution? Yeah, I mean, there's also there there is some other uh, news that we'll get into later that is uh, more directly tied to some of the rumors that we've been hearing about this this uh, studio and, and the potential like. Silent Hill that they're working on in air quotes. But man, uh, this this is fucking so bad. This is so bad for these for this dev. I feel so shitty for them. But at the same time, it's like I, I there's part of me that's just like, why did you not? They may they kind of went with it, you know? So like it's it's on on some level, I feel like, ah, oh, you know, that's man, they're in a really shitty, shitty situation. And on the other hand, I'm like, well, they didn't have to be, but they just sort of let it happen. So, like, I don't know. This this blue box thing is so uh, Pepe Sylvia to me at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's 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 fun and fascinating. But there's actually an article 
Dustin on Push Square, which is a site I really like. William Croft wrote. And he says in part that this is just the next twist in a tale that continues to sit uncomfortably with us. We don't know how anyone can believe Hideo Kojima is still involved in this because of how suspicious the entire thing is. And then he goes later on to say something that's interesting. He says, you have to question whether any game even exists at all by this point. Caraman says the app was delayed because of bugs and localization issues, with the latter cited as the reason for the app's delay from Tuesday to today. It's then, and this was last Friday, it's then fairly suspicious to push it all the way back to August, announcing it so in a Twitter video, especially when Blue Box Game Studios claims Sony is involved in the project, except it's absolutely not. There was a time when we felt sorry for the developer as the internet rushed to find tenuous links between Abandoned and Hideo Kojima, but that attention now needs to be focused on whether there's any game here at all. We remind you that not a single second of Abandon has actually been shown. The announcement trailer is made up of a cheap Unreal Engine assets that anyone can buy. Um, and he said, no, the teaser, we didn't have a lot of time. So Sony wanted something real quick. So we had to have something to show. And that was not the game at all. So the game will be different. Caraman previously claimed. Is this one big scam? We've requested a comment from Sony on the matter. It is very weird. I mean, I agree with what Liam is saying here. It's strange. It's just very strange. Why? Yeah. And we're talking about how Sony doesn't want to deal with anyone and how difficult they are to deal with. And then they want to deal with this fucking person. Yeah. Like, so there's there's something to this. It's weird. Here's the thing, Colin, is that the app exists because people that are friends with Hassan on PlayStation, actually me now, he accepted my friend request. People have seen him playing an a game called Abandoned Real-Time Trailer. Right. So there's something at least something i don't know here's a question okay as okay i've just leaned into the fact even if i'm swayed multiple ways i'm just gonna go with the the stance that i'm i believe right so we'll just go with that right now sony today and over this week has dropped some big bombshells that we're going to talk about in the show just a little bit kind of odd uh that you would announce some big bombshells when there's also a rumored event now the theories are is that PlayStation's event that they wanted to have in early July has been postponed, particularly one rumor that I read, which I don't know if it's true or not, is that it's being delayed because of Activision and Call of Duty. That is something we have heard repeatedly is that Call of Duty this year has been not so hot and been in trouble and they're really scrambling to get it together. So they wanted to reveal the new Call of Duty at the state of play and then follow it up with their own thing or something. So there's some kind of deal there, potentially. So let's say Sony's event is delayed till August. Then it would, and that was a recent decision that was recently made. Then, hmm, his app has also been delayed. Like, I don't know. It just, Sony's actions, especially with the announcements that they've made, just doesn't make sense for them to just hmm. put out on Twitter. This seems like something you'd want to include with a summer event, right? Yeah, I agree. It's it's all bizarre. I don't know what to believe and I don't know how to feel and we'll just we'll see. I mean, that's all I could really say about that, right? Like we'll see what happens, but yeah. <laughs> I'm almost tired of talking about it because it's it really is as Chris said just speculative Pepe nonsense at this point. Always yeah. sunny in Philadelphia type nonsense. So we'll keep an eye out. And maybe you're right, Dustin. Maybe this is all connect interconnected with the rumors that are percolating. Who knows? Big Squeak wrote in and said, hey, guys, Colin has often said, why buy the cow when you can get the milk for free, which I've used often to my wife, who correctly stated that this is often a sexual term. Pretty sure I've used it at work. So thanks for that. Yes, I Googled it and she's right. Yeah, no, it is. A, it is a sexual term. It's something that like a mother would say to like the, you know, the the daughter 
when she's 20 years old and she's you know sleeping with her boyfriend and her she's gonna say like why does she why is he gonna buy the cow when he gets the milk for free you know that's what the term comes from yeah so yes yes it is i'm sorry that you used it in uh <laughs> In those situations, but that is certainly the provenance. <laughs> he's he got laid off, and now he's fired because <laughs> he, he quoted Colin in the office. <laughs> Love it. And Attila Farsang wrote in notes and said, "Hello, CDC. As a proud owner of two kids, aged nine and three, I often wonder if they des- uh, I often wonder if they decided to turn on me. How long would they last? I'm a 300 pound man who's six feet. Yes, that's not all muscles, but non- nonetheless, I outweigh them by quite a bit. I figure it would take 30 children of that age." to finally take me down using only fists. What say you? How many children would it take to take you all down? I'm curious to know the answer. So this is obviously a, a well-trodden question. I wanted to bring this up because he said, he doesn't say originally how, like, what, how would we respond? He clearly says, I wonder if they decided to turn on me, how long would they last? Yeah. And that's the question I want to, I want to tackle today. So a 300-pound man, six feet, 300 pounds, He's attacked by his nine-year-old and his three-year-old. Chris, how long do those children survive? I mean, I th- I think they would win because a true parent wouldn't just obliterate their kids. Oh. Right? You would imagine After that that would be something style, that like it's that. – Yeah, yeah. You'd imagine – I like how he says owner of two kids. Yes. <laughs> it seems so, <laughs> seems so dehumanizing. But, I mean, I guess it is a question about murdering them. So, like, I, I guess – my assumption would be like, I don't think he would have it in him to really fight back. So I think he would I think he would just be destroyed. But hmm. in, a, in a situation where, let's say, he gets mind wiped and, the, and you know, like men in blacked and he doesn't re- he doesn't know who these these kids are. They're just attacking him for no reason. Uh, I would imagine that they would last uh, nine years. Is What is it? Nine years old and three years old. Yep. Nine and three. Uh, You're dealing with two very not- st- different styles there. Of enemy yeah, combat. different combat, yeah. Uh, different combat styles for mm-hmm. those ages. I think uh, this is lasting maybe maybe a minute, maybe. You know, yeah, they're not they're not lasting that long. Yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with you, Dustin. What do you think? How long do those kids last? Oh, thir- less than 30 seconds, I yeah. think, if there's, yeah. you know, what we're talking about, like, you know, Chris used the mind wipe. I'm thinking like. um kind of like falling down like he just like the movie where the guy just goes nuts like one day he's just like can't take it anymore and um yeah easy targets probably i'm gonna say my answer is kind of similar to to dustin's although i understand what chris is saying where uh, i'm sorry it's similar to chris although i understand what dustin is saying with the the idea that these are not you know what are you gonna what are they gonna do it's as long as he they're gonna live as long as he wants them to live in this situation Right. Because the minute he decides that it's this. It's like a, an elephant that has a fly and, and eventually it fixates, fixates on the fly with its trunk and smashes it. That's all. Right. Yeah, it's over for the fly. So tolerates the fly, tolerates the fly, so on, so on, so on. And then no longer do you tolerate the fly. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. That's it. That's all we have. Let's get into yeah. what we're playing. Chris, we'll start with you. We actually have here a list of six different games split between the, th- uh, the three of us. Let's talk about the games you're playing. Oh, how's Ratchet? Yeah, I'm still playing Ratchet. Uh, still slowly making my way through it. Haven't had that much time to uh, play games this week, sadly. 
I've been all over the place, but I'm still enjoying it. You know, it's still it's I think it's maybe losing a little bit of I, I feel like it's running out of tricks. You know, it's it's running out of ways to keep me as entertained, uh, but I'm still enjoying it. It's a pretty solid, solid game so far. Uh, but I, I decided out of nowhere hmm. to jump back into Metro Exodus oh. because I had seen that there was a PS5 upgrade yes. for free. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that because I've seen, you know, I've seen some trailers of that and I've seen like screenshots and it looks gorgeous. And I jump back into it and it is fucking gorgeous. <laughs> like it Dude. looks so stupid good that I'm actually like super excited to kind of jump back into it. I know now is probably not the ideal time, but like, I feel like it's one of these things where it's like, oh, it's grabbing me now more than it did the first time I played it. So like now is probably the time where I'm like, all right, I'm going to try and see this through as much as I can because I'm really into it. And also, I totally forgot what the hell I was doing the last time I was playing. So it's like it's a one, two, like perfect, perfect scenario for me. It's just the atmosphere in that game is so good. And I think it, honestly, maybe seeing Stalker 2 at this E3 maybe got me in the mood to kind of like trudge around some Russian wastelands. With, yeah. You want some with, Eastern European FPS? I got yeah. you. Yeah. And I always like, I appreciated Metro, but like, I just, I could never like dive full on into them. Something about the first few being very linear and, and even Metro Exodus coming out initially around so many other things. I just got too distracted. And now it's like with this upgrade, it just feels like a good time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's gorgeous, man. It is a pretty fucking game. Like, unreal. What's so exciting to me, Chris, about that is that a lot of times people think about ray tracing as reflections, but the big thing in that game is uh, ray trace lighting. Yeah. And, like, man, there's a great Digital Foundry video where they show you, like, it has to do with, like, if if light comes in a room, it, it spreads the light out in a very particular way. And game designers used to have to fake it by lighting the room kind of unnaturally. But... With ray trace lighting, it's able to do it like very realistically and it completely changes how some scenes look. And it, yeah. what they did was really impressive on on consoles, like just crazy. No, yeah, it's it's tra- it's fully transformative, I think, because like a lot of what's cool about Metro and a lot of what's cool about that kind of genre of survival, like survival, like scavenging horror in general is just using like things like your flashlight to see in like really dark areas. Whereas like in, in the default version of Metro Exodus that I played on PS4 a couple years ago or, or however long ago, it came, I'm pretty sure it's years old at this point. I think like maybe two years old, I think something like that, you know, a lot of, there was a lot of like pre-baked lighting and a lot of rooms just to kind of help the player see. But now because everything's ray traced, brights are really bright, but dark areas are super, super dark. So you need that flashlight more often and Mm. that's just really nice because i feel like flashlights are in a lot of fps's but they're not useful in any of them really like because they don't no game is brave enough to really like just put you in a pitch black darkness because they want you to see like ooh, the skybox is beautiful and look at how beautiful this tree looks in the nighttime and it's like you know they they kind of want to cheat and kind of have this here's a blue filter over everything so it's nighttime but not really. So I just appreciate that. Like what, from what little I've played of Metro Exodus so far, it's like, there's like a lot of natural light and there's daylight, but like there are dark, dark areas where you need your flashlight and it's like super immersive and it feels really good. I can't remember if Metro Exodus was 60 frames on PS4. I doubt it. 
I feel like I remember it not running super well, but now that it it's super smooth and it's gorgeous, it's really grabbing me again. And uh, that makes me happy because I really did enjoy what little I played of it the first time. I just got sucked away. Yeah, it's a, it's a game. First of all, to your point, it came out February in 2019 mm-hmm. on PS4. Back in June on PS5. I feel the same. I, I bought it when it came to PS4 and just never had a chance to play it because I platinum the other two, Metro 2033 and Metro Last Light. And it's been kind of goading me in as well. I think I'm probably going to play it in the coming weeks because I'd like to really get to it. I'm just looking at screenshots and video of it a little bit. It's kind of the I want to play a shooter right now. So yeah. glad you're enjoying so those. Pretty, Dustin, what do yes. you like? Mainly Mario Golf. I'm sorry. It's a Nintendo game on our Mario PlayStation Golf's, show. Mario Golf's great. It's great series. Pretty good, but I will say this is not a hot take. A lot of people are like, hmm, this uh, is not hitting quite as well because we have everybody's golf still in the back of our mind, which uh, just makes me sad because I don't know what Sony's relationship is with Clap Hands now. We know that Clap Hands went and released a, a phone game, but it just makes me, when I'm playing it, I'm like, this is a pretty good game. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to keep playing it, but. I'm always thinking that everybody's golf is was just really, really good. Like the ultimate golf sim, not sim, uh, arcadey golf game. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. The other yeah. two. Oh, good. I was just going to say Camelot is the studio that makes all the Mario golf games. And they were, were a Sega team back in the day. They made um, Shining Force and all of the rest. But they don't Nintendo doesn't own them, so they could do whatever they want with this with this ip if they wanted to go in a different direction but it is worth noting that they've made i think every mario golf game so yeah i doubt that's going to happen go on so it's a little bare bones that's the one thing that a lot yeah, of yeah well that's were... i was gonna say too about that i was i tweeted out about it. i was like i'm gonna buy this so it looks great but then i heard it's like it's not very robust and i was like well i'm not buying that then i i if i i remember the n64 and gamecube ones which i were in love with was in love with People were saying that there's less content in the in this one than there is in those. And I'm like, well, that's not acceptable. So I'm not buying this. Dude. OK, I, I have, to have, to have to tell you guys one funny thing. So there's a story mode, which I was excited to check out. I thought it would be this fun, cute little thing. And it may be when you talk to characters, it they make sounds. And so like you'll talk to Toad and be like, rah, 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 and it just is the same same two sounds over and over. And then there will be like uh, the the big he's like a hammer bone he's like uh, like just over and over and i want to like i i can't play it because every time it's talking it's like the same <laughs> sounds like uh birdo birdo's like wow wow anyone who's playing mario golf has played mario golf is being is triggered right now because they know what i'm talking about it's too much anyway <laughs> playstation game that i'm playing is i played some of Sackboy. finally i know people oh, have nice. been wanting us to check this out not a lot of time. I was playing co-op with uh, Holly and we both decided that we don't really like playing it co-op. It's one of those games that kind of reminds me of uh, a Mario 3D world and that it has co-op, but it just makes the game somewhat more annoying to play uh, just because you got to stay on the same screen. You like have the ability to jump and throw each other. And then there's like a competition to race to the end, which I'm trying to collect everything. And so I'm going to play more of it, but not with Holly. Sorry, it's nothing about her. It's about the game. That's fine. And then finally, Destiny 2 has really, really hooked me. I'm almost ready to do the raid. I'm 
almost light level 1300, I believe. Yeah, that's what you need. That's what we need. So it's almost a vault time. So stay tuned because we will stream that uh, as a long streaming event. It'll be very cool. Uh, Still figuring out the details, though. Yeah. By the way, I want to say I I was just reading about this as you were going over that. I didn't know this. So this is a new piece of information to me. Camelot made the first everybody's golf game. Really? Then they started making the Mario golf games. Clap Hands started making uh, everybody's golf with everybody's golf too. Interesting. So very interesting would be I didn't know that. I, I always thought Clap Hands did all of them. So there you go. Little piece of information for everyone. Finally, the only game I've really been messing around with this week is Scarlet Nexus. I've played probably about ten hours of it. It's really good. I, I really like it. I've never played a game like this, uh, action role playing game combined with a really pretty deep visual novel. The story is cool. It's actually kind of interesting about like a rebellion and this kind of totalitarian government and all of the rest. It gives me a lot of Freedom Wars vibes for all the Vita fans out there. I really feel like this game is similar to that in some ways, and it gives me a lot of control vibes. It's the combat you use like telekin or like, you know, telekinesis to move things around and destroy enemies. It's very similar to that, but it's more of like a melee version of that because you're using a sword to kind of supplement your attacks. And it's got this really clever combat system wherein you have different party members and they do their own thing. You can kind of in a very tales like way. Some of the studio that made tales made this game or makes tales. So not a surprise. You can kind of set your different modifiers to how your AI should fight, but you can use the R1 button and activate their different skills so and they refresh so like one of your characters will give you like flame attacks and another one will make you invincible or invisible and others will do whatever strengthen your defense or and so on so there's a lot of really cool combat in it and very charming kind of system wherein you have a hideout and you talk to everyone individually and there's like this email system and it's pretty cool if you're if you're looking for a very action-oriented role-playing game that's like all about the movement and action that i wouldn't play this game but if you're looking for something that's kind of unique and different i would recommend it i think it's really cool so far it also has two different campaigns i don't know how different they are but you you choose your protagonist in the beginning and they cross paths at different times Mm -hmm. so that's pretty cool so you can play it twice i will say that it's totally unoptimized for ps5 that there's draw distance problems which is unbelievable because this game looks like a ps3 game in a lot of different ways so I also feel like the animation wasn't tailor-made for 60 frames. I think it lo- it runs at 60 frames on PS5, but it looks really weird when he's running. His animation is just so fast and strange looking. So there's little things like that. The game has crashed on me a couple of times as well. I've had almost no crashing problems on PS5, so that's very notable to me. And I also pointed out to someone on Twitter that you can just tell the game wasn't optimized for PS5 because it takes like four or five seconds to save. And when you're playing PS5, you just know that you just get used to the fact that the game's just almost like it's not even happening. And so, yeah, I was a little surprised by the draw distance, draw distance issues and all the rest, but it's very fun. Uh, I want to check it out. Yeah, you were you were uh, recommending it to me because you were like, you were like, dude, it's kind of like control. It's very anime, though, you said. Yeah. Oh, it's very, very, it's very anime. anime. Worth noting that as well. And indeed, uh, Sir Death Spank wrote into it. Sir Death Spank wrote into it and said, greetings, sons of Colin. By now, you must have heard the great news or the great reviews of Scarlet Nexus. And they're right. This game is amazing. However, no one is uh, talking about. That is not broken. No crashes, no game breaking gr- uh, bugs, no corrupt save files. In this day and age, having a AAA game that works should be a cause for celebration. I, I wanted to bring that up because you're not, you're not hearing that because it's just not the case for a lot of people. 
everyone seems I'm not saying this is the case, but even when I tweet out like a positive thing or and have some sort of critique, everyone seems like they need to defend the game. Well, I'm not having problems. Well, this is the exact opposite uh, problem, because I, I think people are having some issues. And again, having played so much on PS5 since it's come out, I have not had any games crash on me like more than once. Even Returnal didn't really fuck around with me, which is crazy. Yeah. Nicholas Jensen wrote in us and said, hey there, fellas. I was just wondering if any of you had any suggestions for a game that isn't too serious. Lately, I've been playing all too serious games and I would love one to play so that if I miss a cutscene, I will still know what's going on or one where I can turn the volume off while listening to a podcast. Just a chill game. I, you know what I want to recommend? Try the Spyro trilogy that came out back in, I guess, 2018, I want to say. The re-released of the first, the remakes of the first three games from Toys from Bob, I believe. They did that, right? I think they did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great. It's really, really great. And that's a very mindless collectathon type game. Fun platinums to get. So that's my recommendation. Do you guys have uh, any, Dustin? Do you have a, a kind of a suggestion for a game that's not too serious that Nicholas um, might want to play? Maybe this is I'm, I'm trying to figure out if this is the right answer for me. I want to say Destiny 2 in that. It's as serious as you want it to be. If you want to dive into the lore and know, you know, like every like weapons have lore and stuff like that, you can. Uh, But if you want to chill out and listen to a podcast while you grind stuff out, I do that. Sometimes it's fantastic. If I want to hop on Discord and hang out with the boys, I can do that. And it's Hmm. free to check out. So there's no strings attached. Chris, do you have any uh suggestions i mean my my answer would have been destiny 2 that would that's like a good answer because like i mean it is as serious as you want it to be like there there's a lot of shit there but it's totally in the background you can ignore it and still have a pretty good time i think that's like a really safe bet especially because it's free you know like if you want to buy a new game i think the spiral trilogy is also a great thing um i would say you know what honestly might be a little pricey if you're if you're thinking of picking this up purely for just the, you know, the game. But I think sincerely Crash Bandicoot 4 is fucking fantastic. And I, I, I it's also one of those games where like I'm, I'm not paying attention to the story at all. It is just really solidly designed. It's really cute. It's it's pretty. It runs really well. The It's challenging, but it's also like it's it's about as challenging as you make it because like you you could go through the levels and they're not really hard but then there's like the completionist challenges which are like way way harder and you can you can kind of pace yourself through that game like really 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 well and uh i just think it uh, deserves a little bit more praise than it's gotten because it's 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 damn good and speaking of games that i want to play anyway coming up leo sanchez wrote in and said greetings boys with New game release is slowing down for a bit after Ratchet. Any one of you fine gentlemen jumping into the cutesy and not at all horrific world of Doki Doki Literature Club. Now that it's on PS5, I bet that would make a hell of an interesting spoiler cast. I I totally want to play it. I know all I know about it is that it's not what it seems. And it's been like highly recommended to me. And I I I can tell by the name when I actually when it was uploaded, that's when I started reading about it. I'm like, there's that's a Doki Doki Literature Club. This is some some weird and it, it, it sounds great, but I don't know very much about it. So. I don't even know what to expect. Dustin, have you yes. played it? Yes, it's fantastic. I played the free version years ago. Uh, and this is one, you know, I was thinking about recommending to you, Colin, because I, I'm very careful with my recommendations. I was going to wait to play it again. But uh, dude, it's 12 bucks right now on sale. A launch sale at 12.50 on PlayStation. So if you do end up playing it, Colin, I would be totally down to do a, a spoiler cast 
on cool. it. So it's on the list. I, I definitely want to play it as well. Got to get through Scarlet Nexus. What else? I've kind of given up on the Returnal Platinum because I'm getting so frustrated just looking for like I've played through the the second world probably like 25 times now looking for the thing I'm missing. And I'm like, I'm not fucking doing this. This is this is just fucking stupid like that you're making me do this. I am so interested in seeing and doing more. But why are you making it so annoying for me? How much more time do you want out of me? I just I can't give it anymore, but I'll save that for the spoiler cast we do next week. Chris, did you play or have heard of Doki Doki Literature Club? I have heard of it. I am familiar with what it is. I am familiar with the twists. So uh, it, the, a lot of it would be lost on me. Dang but um, yeah, Th- that game was kind of like memed to high heaven. Like back when it came out, like there there was like all these like photoshops of like the moments uh, that are, are pretty notable about it. So probably not going to jump into it also just because it's not really my kind of game in general. Uh, not really big on uh it's, it's like a visual novel, right? Yeah, it's a yeah. 2017 freeware visual novel. 2000, yeah, it's September 22nd, 2017. And then the, this is the plus version. Yeah. Which is, I guess, the I don't know. version. Team Silvato. It's, it's, it's hard for me to get into, like, even games that I like. Like, things like, even, like, visual novels that I tend to like. Like, uh, I don't know if you would call Phoenix Wright a visual novel. But, like, I, I kind of like Phoenix Wright. And, like, I like that world. Yeah. And I like that character. Awesome. It's like, I like the tone of it. I like the, the music and, and just kind of like the, the general vibe of those games. But... I, I just can't get it out of my head that like while I'm playing a visual novel, I'm like, I'm my brain is not occupied enough. Like, I feel like I when I'm playing a video game, I like to be moving around. I like to always be hitting some inputs. I like to always be, I, I don't like sitting with the controller and like reading. Right. You know, because I feel like I could just read a book or, you know, do any number of other things that are a little bit easier to multitask with or i could listen to an audiobook while i'm working or something you know it's like i can't get out of the productivity mindset when i'm playing when i'm playing a virtual novel maybe one day that'll change when my hands are like you know destroyed by uh arthritis and carpal tunnel yeah from all the enough. editing and guitar and yeah typing enough. but you know yeah, for now like little claw hands like yeah it's it's gonna be like a scary movie too with the mashed yeah. potato guy grandma my good hand whatever the hell he says <laughs> yeah that's it's funny like i, I want to know uh, a little bit more about this game gonna go in blind i like visual novels i would consider phoenix Wright a visual novel it's a little bit mm-hmm. more of an adventure game as well because there's puzzles to it and stuff but yeah i like you know and i love danganronpa and all the rest so we'll see how it goes i'll have more to say about it when i play it by the way before we get any further i do want to note one other thing has since leaked since we started recording it's not really a leak but games beat writes that I guess they're confirming that uh, Motive is indeed working on a new Dead Space game, which Eurogamer and Gamatsu first reported the existence of, as the article says. And it says, while a new Dead Space is coming, Motive is rebooting the franchise with a full-fledged remake. For its Dead Space game, Motive is taking notes from Capcom's recent Resident Evil remakes. Like Resident Evil 2 Remake, expect the next Dead Space to use the original game as a strong foundation, but it should also have modern visuals, and it will likely bring in new gameplay mechanics inspired by other entries in the franchise so just some new dead space updates sounds like there will be two dead space games so not a huge surprise there i think i said that last week that i suspected that they would both remake or re-release the old games and do something new so i just wanted to throw that out there but let's get into the real news in earnest and this is a long one so bear with me but it's important we get into this now number one yeah after a decade and a half of close partnerships sony has officially purchased housemark the Finnish team is a mid-sized developer at around 100 heads and was founded in 1995. 
combining two existing teams in Finland, Bloodhouse and Terramark. Its early PlayStation Network exclusive PS3 title, Super Stardust HD, a reimagining of the team's original 1993 game Stardust and its 1996 sequel, Super Stardust, was PSN's very first critical and commercial smash hit in 2007. It was also the first game to receive trophies in 2008. Housemark started as a PC-centric studio, and its first console game was actually the 2002 Xbox-exclusive Transworld Snowboarding. It also released the excellent Ubisoft-published side-scroller Outland in 2011, ported Angry Birds to PS3 and Xbox 360 on behalf of Activision that same year, and re-released a, I'm sorry, released a self-published game in the form of 2017's Next Machina. But Housemark is otherwise entirely known for their work as a Sony second-party team. Following Super Stardust HD, Dead Nation came to PS3 in 2010. The PS Vita launch game Super Stardust Delta launched in 2011 and 2012. The beloved PS4 launch game Resogun followed in 2013. Dead Nation's spiritual successor Alienation followed from there in 2016. And then seldom discussed Matterfall was released in 2017. Sony funded and published all of those games, in addition to the recently released PS5 roguelike third-person shooter Returnal. In a letter announcing the news, Herman Hulse, the head of PlayStation Studios, noted in part, quote, Housemark's recent release of Returnal proves the studio is one with incredible vision, capable of creating memorable new games that resonate with our community. This addition enhances the creative force of PlayStation Studios, end quote. In an interview with the publication GQ, Holst expanded on his relationship with Housemark behind the scenes, noting that it was staff from the studio that helped his old team, Gorilla, get PSP's Killzone Liberation out the door in 2006, a year before Housemark's first, uh, first Sony-published game. Quote, what stood out then was how technically capable the core team was at Housemark. And you've been able to witness that in all the titles that they've been making pretty much for every single PlayStation platform since. From my perspective, they're the perfect fit for PlayStation Studios with a very strong identity in terms of kind of games that they make. They always have that super intense arcade style, but they've been able to innovate by creating their own genre with a roguelike that's got a nicely layered story on top, end quote. And yes, it sadly sounds like the days of their iconic twin stick arcade games are done, albeit not at all surprisingly. Studio head Olari Kutnin told GQ in part, that his team is, quote, looking into what we've done now and building upon it. Certainly, Returnal is kind of a stepping stone for us. When we're thinking about the future of titles, they'll maybe even be bigger and more ambitious, end quote. So that's everything there for now. Chris, what do you think of this? Housemark is now a first party team. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, when I think of Housemark, I kind of think first party anyway. So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like this was just it, this was kind of already the case in some way like kind of at least in the in the in in the minds of a lot of players anyway so i think it makes a ton of sense to acquire house mark i'm surprised they didn't do it sooner to be honest yeah so it seems like dustin this deal was moving in the background for about a year or more and it was interesting in the gq article you read which is a an interview with the founder of the studio and herman hall so larry kootenan he says that they have not seen each other in person the entire time this conversation has been going on. So like they've never been able to actually meet in person, although they obviously know each other. And I know him as well. They've always been really accessible when their games would be at events and stuff. And they're a really nice group of people. And uh, like Michael Havari, who is their marketing guy, is a friend of mine. And he's he's a really nice dude that they have a really good, a strong presence at these shows. So I've always appreciated their accessibility. But what do you think about them kind of joining and making this official like chris said it seems like this has been a long time in coming and you'll know you'll you'll be pleased to know that i was just searching for out of curiosity my old ign stuff because i used to write like sony should buy these five studios or what studio should sony buy and it's always housemark in all the old articles it's so funny so what do you think yeah i think that this makes sense obviously there's a good partnership there 
that has been going on for years. Though, Colin, you didn't mention they the the game Furmans that they made. They did, uh, yeah, they for, did make uh, I dude, okay, I that was an like, iOS game, wasn't it? iOS and Vita, yeah, but it wasn't. I don't think that was partnered with Sony at all. So it makes sense you didn't mention it. But I about died when I uh, realized that they were the ones that made that game. So one thing that I will say that I, I'm I'm sure is the case is that Sony had to have gotten Housemark for a very very good deal because my theory is that Housemark was probably in some pretty bad financial, not trouble, but like you know, taken on water after uh, Next Machina's middling success. They started working on a battle royale that clearly wasn't panning out. And then they got this deal with Sony. And then I'm guessing that they got them for a very, very good price. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would venture a guess of below 50 million, I would say. I mean, I, I don't I don't know, but. Maybe that'll become public in their new financials because you have to just consider $229 million for Insomniac, which I think is a steal. That's like two, that's two separate buildings and two separate states and so the rest, but maybe not, maybe, maybe it's a little bit more than that, but I think the price was probably right. And I think also Sony has shown a very consistent willingness to work with them, even when things weren't going great for them. And I think you'll remember that. It was kind of an ebb and flow. Like Super Stardust was huge. That game was huge. Everyone loves Super Stardust early in the PS3's life cycle. That's a fucking great game. By the way, if you've never played a Super Stardust game, you absolutely must. There's a PS4 iteration that was ported by another team, but has Housemarque's endorsement and all the rest. Really good stuff. Also, the launch game for Vita, Super Stardust Delta, is in my mind the best Vita launch game and and just an absolutely phenomenal uh, game as well. But so things were going well for them with those games, but then things were a little soft. They, they, they did Outland with the Ubisoft in 2011, which was very good, but no one really played it. Like you said, they had these kind of, you know, Furmans. They did a little bit of port work for Activision, which I'm sure was lucrative and all the rest. But even as things ebbed, so I would say Dead Nation is more of an ebb. I love that game, but that game had, as you guys might remember, a catastrophic rollout with it not working with online and all the rest. Then yeah. Resogun came. And that was awesome. Then they made Alien Nation, which no one really cared about. Then they made Next Machina, which was their independent game. And then they actually went back to Sony again and made Matterfall. So Sony has always been willing to work with them. And so this seems to make sense. And I think a lot of people are now wondering what's next. So before we get into any of that, Michael Centeno Centeno wrote into us on Patreon. He says, hey, CC and Big D. With PlayStation officially buying Housemark and presumably Bluepoint, we'll talk about that in a little while. I was wondering when a company is being purchased, how do they determine the value of the company? Is it solely on revenue or also based on the value of the IP that they own? Thanks and keep up the good work. This is what I think keeps the value of Housemark down is that they don't really own anything. So I think it's you're just buying the talent, you're buying the organization and all of the rest. It's not the same as buying Insomniac which does own, I mean, you might not care about these things, but they do own some IP. They do own Sunset Overdrive and Fuse and others that may, may, might have some intrinsic value. I'm sure, I'm sure owning Sunset Overdrive is in itself worth millions of dollars. So that's a little bit of a different, I'm, I'm no intent in wearing the shirt for that reason. I just picked it out of the top of the pile. So the value, I think, is just determined based on yeah, all of these different things. And then you have to kind of find like Bethesda's deal was incredibly complicated compared to a deal like Housemark, which I'm sure is much more straightforward. Yeah. 
But Brian Borlaug wrote in about something else and he says, hey, boys, with Sony's acquisition of Housemark, what does this mean for the studio's future titles? I personally love a Resogun 2, but does the apparent success of Returnal solidify their game's directions moving forward? Could they beef up to work on multiple projects at once? I've enjoyed every game they've released, so regardless of what they do, I'd be happy as a pig and shit. Thanks for the great content and continued success of your brand, guys. Thank you for writing in. Chris, I'm curious what you think should be Housemark's next move. In the GQ article, it's actually really quite nice. Like he, Alari Kutinen talks about how the studio is just gone right now. Like they're they're just all on vacation and they don't even know what they're going to do next. And like <laughs> this news is even rolling out to them while like they're all not together. He also notes, as I ta- I talked about in my write up here, that they're not going to be doing going backwards anymore. And you might remember that he wrote he wrote a blog post like what two or three years ago. I think it's called Arcade Gaming is Dead or something like that. So unfortunately, I don't think you're yeah. going to get these games. But wouldn't it be nice, Chris, is if they incubated a triple A game and then also just allowed a small team to make some of the cool stuff that they used to make too? Yeah, I think that I think that would be really cool. And I think that'd be that would be probably the best thing. But I mean, we know that's probably not likely going to happen. I just I just think as somebody like let's say you're a you're a developer and you're like, I really like Housemark's games. I want to make games like that. And then you go to Housemark and then they're making Returnal and you're like, oh, well, all right, well, there's some identity here. I, I, I get where the design would, would evolve into this. So it's like, all right, it's not so bad. But surely there are people at that studio who love making those types of, you know, Rezogun and Super Stardust. And it, surely there are a lot of people at that studio that enjoy making that kind of game. So while they they seem pretty adamant that they're not willing to go backwards, I wouldn't be surprised if enough people at that studio maybe would want to like, hey, well, we got we're a first party now. Maybe we could get some resources to kind of throw something together super cheap uh, on the side that like maybe maybe could rake in an extra bit of money. Maybe could even just be like a, a really sleeper hit on the indie side. Or like, you know, the indie side uh, as a genre right. to kind of bolster or kind of like, especially like with the talk of the way that you would assume that Sony's looking at Insomniac as kind of like a model, right? You would assume that Insomniac is is kind of looked at as like, ooh, they can get a lot of things out really quickly because they managed to delegate responsibilities between teams really effectively. And if they can boost Housemark's numbers as far as like, and they can boost uh, Housemark staff enough that they could put out a triple A and an indie every so often. That would be pretty good for Sony, I think. And I think it would be good for Housemark because, again, I, I, I would be shocked if there are a lot of Housemark employees that didn't also want to continue doing Resogun and stuff like that. Definitely. I, I think you hit on a very interesting point, too, which is, Again, keeping your company happy, the culture positive. And I think a lot of the creativity that you see in Returnal came from their work in other games. It's very weird because I'm a big Housemark stan, as I know my longtime listeners know. I've, I've just been up the studio's ass forever. But when you play Returnal, you can tell it's their game. Like it's when you really sit and look at it and see even the way things come at you and the way it is structure arcadey like just the way things are shot and there's rule sets that are predictable. And I was like, this is a, this is a Housemark game. So it would be interesting, Dustin, to allow them to do that so that they can continue to flex, find the creative ideas that they then blow up into something bigger. But I think what we can definitely categorically say now is that Sony is very pleased with 
Returnal and with their output generally and feel like now is the time to lock these guys down. And it's being they're being locked down, by the way, in a very similar way to Insomniac being locked down when they tried to go do something else and it just didn't work out very well. And so they came back home. Right. I feel like uh, what I want from them is to do a game, maybe I don't want to say like Returnal, but I want them to do a game that has arcade feeling combat like Returnal, but like how you said in the past, Colin, not roguelike. Like imagine if Returnal instead of the, you know, the repeat, which I get it's the core of the game and the story. So just ignore that for a minute. But like if it had lives or whatever or something like that Mm -hmm. and continues, people would have beat that game instantly. Right. So a lot of the content is stretched out due to the nature of the game. Now with, you know, I guess, I mean, Sony was funding, but now that they're a fully owned studio, maybe they can take some of that combat formula and apply it to a game that can be full length without having to repeat content over and over to give it that length. Hmm. That's what I would love to see. Cause I, I, again, I don't think they're going to go back as much as Resogun 2 would be awesome. Um, which I, on the same hand, I'm like, I'm kind of like Resogun's perfect as it is to me. Yeah, like, what, is, are, what are you going to do for Resogun 2? So it's a wonderful game. I think that they, you know, Sony is looking at and they've said this. They want to buy culture at studios. The the teams that mesh with how they work. Herman Holtz talked about their technical capabilities. And so I think that the main thing that they saw or I continue to see in them is that the potential that they can make huge games they want to buy studios that can make blockbusters and returnal might not quite have been it but maybe they have that in them in the future yeah i think returnal clearly hasn't sold very well and i think sony going in saying you know what well the game i think they said basically the game is made, i'm sure made its money back i don't think it was very expensive to make but that's still being like yeah we still want you anyway we still want to put a ring on it ring on it anyway because we're so pleased with what you've done with us and for us. And so I think they're a very welcome fit. And I think they space that they're in this space in between where Sony still does have like this weird quote unquote indie studio and pixel opus, right? And Housemark is kind of like above that, but not quite where the rest of the studio's headcounts are for the most part. They're still pretty small. What I want to see is, is if they're going to scale up at a hundred, they're almost a hundred and that's way bigger than the team that made Resogun. So they're going to need more. And they're going to get more. I want to talk a little bit about some of the contradictions in this deal, but I want to talk about it later when we introduce some new data and some new news um, to this as well. But in the meantime, I want to congratulate Housemark for this. This is awesome. I think that they are very welcome and make a lot of sense. And to Chris's point, they've already kind of been here anyway. Number two, the first party acquisitions don't stop there, though this one is certainly less exciting. PlayStation has officially acquired Dutch team Nixes, making them Sony's second first-party team in the Netherlands after Gorilla. Now, Nixes isn't a developer per se. They're a port house and support team that, since their founding in the late 90s, has never made their own game. Instead, they've been attached at the hip, first to Eidos and later to Square Enix, porting their games to other platforms. They have experience on consoles dating back to their first project, a Dreamcast port of Crystal Dynamics' Legacy of Kane Soul Reaver, which launched in 2000. They also bought games to GameCube, the original Xbox, Xbox 360, and PlayStation 3. But they made their name in the PC port space and following Square Enix's acquisition of IDOS, worked on bringing some of that publisher's biggest internal Western developed products to PC. 
This includes 2011's Deus Ex Human Revolution, 2012's Hitman Absolution, 2013's Tomb Raider, 2014's Thief, 2015's Rise of the Tomb Raider, 2016's Deus Ex Mankind Divided, 2018's Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and 2020's Avengers. In a press release announcing the news, Sony confirms that Nixus is joining the already existing technology, creative, and services group within PlayStation Studios. Herman Holst, head of the PlayStation Studios, said in part, quote, they have a passion for improving games, delivering the best possible experiences for gamers. Nixus will be a strong asset for everyone across PlayStation Studios, helping our team focus on their most important goal, which is to create unique PlayStation content at the best possible quality, end quote. Jurgen Katzman, the Nixus, Nixus founder, said in part, quote, we can't wait to get to work and are so excited to bring our technical and development expertise to an IP powerhouse like PlayStation Studios. We're looking forward to working with some of the most talented teams in the industry to deliver the highest quality gameplay experiences for PlayStation fans, end quote. While it's possible they could have also been purchased to help port forward stranded PlayStation games on old platforms to say PS5, they did port 2013's Tomb Raider and 2015's Rise of the Tomb Raider to PS3 and Xbox 360, respectively. This deal is almost certainly PC focused. They released nothing on last gen hardware and have no known plans on current gen hardware either. So assume this purchase circulates around bringing internal first party games to PC with maybe some support work and other ports mingling in there. Chris, what did you make of this one? This one actually just broke this morning and wasn't even announced in any official way. There's press releases and it was picked up by websites, but there's no PlayStation blog post. And it was something that Herman Hulse basically just tweeted out. This is a studio acquisition that a lot of people aren't really going to understand. I'll get into what I think it means. But what do you make of this kind of silent post housemark pre probably Blue Point, which we'll talk about in a minute, a minute announcement, this almost like thing that's maybe sandwiched in two big things. Yeah, I mean, I could see why they didn't like it is not a sexy story. You know, it's like here's a port studio. It's it's not it's not even a glamorous kind of port studio, like like Blue Point would be where it's like, hey, here. It, because Bluepoint arguably ports things as well, but it's obviously with a lot of flair and finesse and like, hey, here's a proper remake. Here's Demon Souls looking like fucking photorealistic all of a sudden. And it's like, oh, shit. You know, there's definitely like a difference in um, also just the fact that I've never heard of these people like ever in my life. Like Nix is not once have I seen them come up in any conversation of any kind. So this is I could see why this is maybe like maybe like a subtler kind of announcement but i do think it's wise that they have a, a a studio centered around pc ports especially as that seems to be more and more likely part of their plan going forward as far as um how they plan to get their ip kind of out beyond just playstation and it helps kind of free up the studios that they do have to kind of work on shit that's new and and important and and um you know, less retroactive. So I think uh, I think this makes a ton of sense, even if it's not, you know, the most exciting thing. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Dustin, I was thinking about this and sort of like Sony went out and found them an almost Saber Interactive style, much smaller than Saber Interactive, but a, a team that just does the, the grunt, glamorous, necessary work of proliferating games across platforms and bringing tools across and i was actually so they're dutch i was reading they have a dutch wikipedia page which i translated in chrome and so i don't know how accurate it was but and i couldn't get much further into the the uh citations when i was getting in like a real dutch black hole but i <laughs> but i feel like he or I, I know that it says in that wikipedia that the founder of the studio this guy Jurgen katzman has explicitly said that his studio has no interest in making their own games. And 
like has no interest in doing anything but the glamorous stuff. So what, what did you make of this uh, surprise acquisition? Yeah, I think it's great. It's very exciting. And, you know, we've we've experienced some resistance to the fact that we've been positive about Sony games on PC. People need to give it up. Like, yeah, it's and here's the thing is that. I don't know how we can be more clear about this, but I'm going to make it crystal clear right now. I do not think that Sony outside of the multiplayer focus, I think when they start releasing some of these multiplayer games that we hear rumored about, those will come on PC day and date. And it has to for the health of they want those games to be esports. They need to come out on PC day and date. I would be so incredibly shocked if we'll see like a God of War game come to PC at the same day as PC or it can't come to PC the same day as PlayStation 5. I do not see that happening. Yeah. This is why we 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 keep saying this, but pe- there's still people that don't understand. It's like, this is good for the games that you like. If you are a PlayStation fanboy, I'm trying to speak to you and tell you, this is good. These PC games being, or these PS5 games that are delayed and then eventually come to PC is good for PlayStation fanboys and play, for PlayStation hardware because it gets more and more people interested in the ecosystem. And then maybe they don't want to wait two years to play that game and they'll play it. They'll buy a PS5 or whatever. Great. That's what the fanboys want. That's what Sony wants. You know, whatever. We don't care because we're just, you know, we like Sony, but we're we're obviously very critical of them and stuff. But it's a great thing. And I'm glad to see Sony. They had a few hiccups at the launch of Horizon Zero Dawn. So to see them be like, OK, this is working out. We want it to be up to our quality standard, though. So we're going to bring someone in who's the the pro at this and have them do it right. And I think that is fantastic news. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we don't really know the intent. A lot of the wording in the press release is vague about what they're planning on doing with them. It's clear, though, that they want to deploy them on existing IP and all the rest. I agree with you that people need to let go or dissuade themselves that this of this notion that PC gaming for is bad for PlayStation. I think it's necessary to embrace it in order to proliferate and sustain PlayStation in the long term. And we've seen that with second party releases. I think Predator Hunting Ground came to PS4 and PC at the same time. I don't it's not necessarily unprecedented. So it would be cool to kind of see a unison using these guys as a bridge. And I'll also remind you an important piece of data that's gone largely unreported is in Sony's financials. They note that Horizon Zero Dawn on PC made a 250% return on investment. So when you see that kind of number and you realize, well, we don't need to use Gorilla to do this. They should just be making games. And then we have these guys that can ju- that are like programmed to do this. They don't it's not it's not an, an experiment for them. So I think Sony kind of. Yeah, we talked about how like we they're experimenting, right? Bend and all these others. But I think their experiment kind of led them to believe, OK, the experiment is over. We probably should just allocate these resources to a studio that knows what they're doing with them. And it's exciting to think about it. But Chris, I wanted to kick this back over to you with this question from Connor Bright. He says, hey, CDC, with Nix's software joining the PlayStation Studios umbrella, do you think they would be able to remaster some PlayStation games that are stranded on older consoles, such as Infamous, or are they just going to be porting games to PC? Keep up the hard work, boys, and Dustin, keep fighting the good fight against the Kingdom Hearts haters. He will. So, Chris, I'm curious. They have some sort of provenance in the the console space. They worked a little bit on PS3, a little bit on Xbox 360. We know Dreamcast back in the day, whatever. 
I'm wondering if you think that this could have anything to do with them bringing these games, these old games forward. I don't know that that's necessarily in their wheelhouse, but perhaps these guys have such technical skill and know-how. I was talking about it on Moore's Law is Dead's podcast about Sony just not, we were talking about like Sony just seeming to not necessarily have the know-how to do some things and, and do them efficiently. And one of the things is emulating the cell processor and getting these games off of PlayStation 3 specifically. Do you think maybe that's part of it too? It could be. I just I just don't know if this is uh, I don't know if this studio is necessarily being acquired with the, with the notion of reaching that far back into the past. I, I do think this is more of a, a, a kind of a modern thing. I, I do think they're looking at like, hey, here's the latest build of whatever the most recent like, hey, here's God of War or whatever. Do this. And then like. I really do think that's going to be their focus. I don't think the studio is big enough really to handle like, hey, here's here's eight different ports and and also like, hey, here's infamous again. And here here's a bunch of PS3 things that, by the way, very few people have been able to figure out. The PS3 is like super hard to emulate, like even for people who are doing it for free out of the passion of their own, like just purely for their own passion projects, trying to get things working. So I don't know if even a studio like this with this kind of, you know, skill set would necessarily just be able to kind of like be able to, hey, here's Resi- here's uh, Resistance. Hey, here's uh, Infamous, like out of the blue like that, because they're just so talented. I, I do think it's a way bigger, a way bigger battle than just this studio can handle, especially if they're going to be on, you know, PC porting duty, you know, like which seems to be their. They're ma- like they did specialize in console stuff, but we know how long we know that the team like 2007 Bungie is not 2021 Bungie. Right. And like, I doubt 2005 Nixus is, is 2021 Nixus, you know, so there's a different skill set. There's a different focus. I don't know if uh, I wouldn't hold my breath for infamous or resistance on PS5 at the hands of these guys specifically. Although I do understand why people would be hopeful given that these seem to be the only people in any way tailor-made for that kind of project. I just don't see that being their priority at all. Yeah, I would assume that bringing new games to PC would be, in a salient point, much more valuable to Sony. And that's why I brought up on my write-up that they have console experience, but they did nothing on PS4, nothing on Xbox One, no known plans yeah. of PS5 or Xbox Series X. So it's been a while. Dustin, what do you think? Do you think it's wishful thinking that we might see them go back into the past? Or do you think what Chris is saying is, is true, that they're really being brought on to just take advantage of this PC market? I feel like it makes more sense to see them do the PC stuff. I mean, we're looking at like, what, a decade of them doing exclusive PC stuff? I uh, and I just don't know. We've seen other companies do that. All right. Like Bluepoint brought PS3 games over. Um, and so have many other. I mean, outside of PlayStation first party and stuff, bring games over. So I don't know if you need uh, a studio with that kind of you know specialized expertise to do that. Um, and this is another situation where just like follow the numbers, follow the money. PlayStation is seeing huge returns on PC release. They buy a studio that's been porting games to PC for the last decade. I mean, that's it seems seems obvious, not for sure, but obvious. Yeah. 
we'll see what happens and we'll see what their first project is. Could be in the works. So my one conspiracy about this, it's not really a bad thing, but Sony kind of reiterating time and time again, we work with teams who we know indicates that maybe they've been working with them already on some silent work that hasn't been credited, which happens all the time. And of course, maybe some other thing came up and they, during the time that this was going on, said, we need this, we need the service. I think that that's what Embracer did with Saber Interactive. I think people are just real, publishers are realizing they just need this, this service. All right. So number three adds even more to this. And this is when we can really start to dissect everything that's happened. It also appears that PlayStation purchased another longtime partner, Texas's Bluepoint Games. Though as of the time we're recording this, no official word has been given by either party. The reason this is almost certainly the case, however, is because of a seemingly huge error by PlayStation's Japanese social media team. In promoting the story about Housemark's acquisition, the wrong image was used. It showed the PlayStation Studios logo next to Bluepoints with the text, Welcome to the Family, in all capital letters. It's otherwise identical to the proper image that was used everywhere else featuring Housemark's logo, except for one other glaring issue. The Bluepoint image centrally shows Demon Souls remake, while the Housemark image shows Returnal. In other words, it's not some image someone made by accident. This announcement is coming soon, and when it happens officially, we'll put a ring on it and go into official de details on the histories of the studio and Sony's collaborations. While we wait, however, such a tiny deluge of acquisitions does seem to raise questions of Sony perhaps making moves in, rival in light of rival Microsoft's recent buys, although this deal with Housemark apparently began materializing, as we said earlier, in 2020. When publication GQ asked Herman Holst if Sony sees this as an arms race, he said in part, quote, not at all. We're very selective about the developers we bring in. Our last new acquisition was Insomniac in 2019, which was worked out very well. I'm always looking for people that have a similar set of values, similar creative ambitions, and work very well with our team that we can further invest in and help grow as creators. It's not like we're going around and just making random acquisitions. They're very, very targeted acquisitions of teams that we know well, end quote. So beyond Housemark, Nix's and Bluepoint, it may be best to temper expectations. Dominic Woodward wrote in and said, Shaggers, what are your thoughts on the leaked Bluepoint PlayStation image? As you've said plenty of times, it makes sense, but seems very interesting if they're holding that announcement back. Chris, what did you make of that very unfortunate error on Sony's part that certainly can't be an accident? I, the reason I think this is because, and I, I, I don't know if that I, I really articulated this anywhere, but for this to have accidentally happened means that someone had like in Japan had like their headphones on. Someone came into their office was like, hey, we need you to make art for, you know, demon. We need you to make art for Housemark and Returnal and PlayStation Studios. So like, oh, Blue Point Games and Demon Souls remake. Got it. And then they made the image and then they sent it all around. And then it's somehow. So obviously this is happening. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's totally real. I think it, it makes total sense. Like this is another thing like Housemark where it's just like they've been working so in tandem with Sony for so long that it's just like you might as well just make it official at this point. I do think it would be really wise of them to have a studio like Bluepoint. We've, I mean, we've been singing these praises for a long time, but like Bluepoint is just really, really exceptional at remastering shit. Like they're just really, really good. And especially in an era that is, I don't want to say nostalgia dependent, but like, you know, people really like old things. It It's not an unwise investment to have a studio that is really good at taking old things and sprucing them up and making them fucking gorgeous. You know, like it, it just makes a ton of sense. And I, I could kind of see why it took them a while to get them because like maybe that this wasn't necessarily always the case. You know, I feel like overall lately in, in recent years, the kind of nostalgia play 
is a lot more valuable now than it was in like 2014 or like 2015 or something like that. So it makes sense to get them now. It makes sense to kind of compete a little bit with Microsoft in a way that's not like scatterbrained and kind of like just acquiring studios for the sake of acquiring them, but acquiring studios that just make sense for the brand and makes sense for the, the studio culture. I think, uh, I think this is a great, great get. I'm really excited as to what this could mean for future Bluepoint projects. Me too. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment because we have questions about that and I'm interested to see what you guys think they might be doing as a first party. Dustin, I wanted to kick this over to you too just to kind of inquire if you think it's, you know, uh, so it should be reiterated. It's a real image. It came from Japan, Japanese, the Japanese PlayStation Twitter account. So we know that it's real, but was it in, it's obviously an accident. So I assume you think it's going to be announced soon. And, and we should know by the time this episode is being recorded anyway, it just hasn't been confirmed. So we'll wait to like really get deep into the woods of who Bluepoint is more and more. But what do you make of this? Yeah, it's definitely happening. There's no mistake there. You you pointed out in the when you read your the the news item that uh, it was cut, more than just the, the logo. They like specifically spliced in in Demon Souls. So I guess the question is when of the timing. And um, yeah, I don't have a lot to add other than from what Chris said. It's just that it's a it's already a great partnership. They've done a, a lot of great stuff. Demon Souls uh, was amazing. And uh, there's just uh, so many IP that they could could do and work on. And it goes beyond um, just making doing remakes, but also doing fantastic remasters uh, like the Uncharted uh, collection as well. Yeah, it, it's they've done great work. Now, they've worked for Microsoft and they've worked for Konami. So they've worked outside of these ecosystems as well or outside of this ecosystem. But I agree. I think it's real. It's obvious that this is going to happen. And by the way, can I told you guys that Sony would most likely buy Housemark and most likely buy Bluepoint. Those were definitely the two I repeated over and over and over again. And it's because of these close relationships that exist. But people are curious about what Bluepoint might do. And so we, we can get into that in earnest here. John Mark Moon wrote in and said, hey, gents, first, I want to say thank you for the awesome content. Thank you. With PlayStation Japan posting the wrong image of the acquisition of Housemark, the purchase of Bluepoint has to be authentic, right? If it is true, what do you want their next project to be? Thanks and keep making every day great. So this is when we're going to really have to get into the nitty gritty of what the purpose of this team is. Chris, I wonder what you think Sony's intent with Bluepoint is, because this, I think, is somewhere actually in between the Housemark and Nix's announcements in terms of Bluepoint really doesn't make games. They did make one original game. People might remember it was the... Um, I think it was a PS3 launch game, which was Blast Factor. I don't know if you guys remember that game. That was like their very first game. And ever since then, they've done nothing but port work and remakes. So certainly they're being brought in with intent, right? Mm -hmm. I would imagine, man, I, my, my soul just wants Metal Gear, <laughs> Metal Gear remake and wants Bluepoint to do it. However, they can manage to do that. I know. I know there's a licensing thing there, man, th that would, that would be amazing for me. Like I, I want that and I'm going to put it out in the universe because I have a pretty good track record of that. But outside of that, I, I just, um, I do find it interesting that they got Nix's and this studio because like, and blue point, because they almost specialize in, in the same field, but like different aspects of it. So like, I wonder if 
maybe there is some conjoined effort here in, in, in a way to kind of bring bring some of these blue point remasters over to PC in some way. Like where's like is Shadow of the Colossus on PC? No. No. It's kind of shocking. It's actually surprising that it's not. I feel like that would be an obvious one. But yeah, I, I really I don't know what they're doing. Uh, I don't know what they could possibly be up to. Demon Souls was already kind of like bizarre. Like I didn't really anticipate that. So it seems like it's kind of up in the air for now, especially because they just went, you know, like they're not going to have anything ready for a while. But my 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 hope is Metal Gear. Yeah, they're about 100 people strong, as I know right now. And they were, you know, if you're a PlayStation 3 gamer, you'll remember that when those collections started coming out, it was really Sly Cooper collection that came first. And that was done by Sanzaru. But then the God of War collection and the Team Eco collection were both from Blue Point. Those came out in 2009 and 2011. 2011 was also the MGS collection that came to PS3 um, and Xbox 360 and Vita on behalf of Konami. They also did the PS All-Stars port. Oh, there it is. There it is. So, yeah, that's the Vita version of Metal Gear Solid, which I have to I'm going to be playing MGS2 again for the first time in a while for Knockback. And then, of course, like we said, they really started getting into the remastering space. 2015, they did the Nathan Drake collection, which is very well regarded. They also ported the original Gravity Rush that year to PS4, which is a pretty rare game, I think. Then they did the remake of 2018 Shadow of the Colossus, which is very well regarded. And then Demon Souls, like Chris said, is extremely well regarded. So my assumption, Dustin, is that they're being brought on to continue making things new again. The only question is, like, what could it be? And Metal Gear Solid is so tantalizing and fun, and so is the idea of a Castlevania game or something. But when we're thinking about, per our earlier conversation with Nix, is about leaving the PS3 games alone and all of this. Well, this is where I think Blue Point comes in, and this is where like a infamous remake, or a Resistance remake, or a Killzone remake, or something like that has to be in the cards. You would assume something like that, right, Dustin? Would you would you think that? Maybe that's the intent because Demon Souls and Shadow of the Colossus are not new games. So th- they remade them right you know, back from that generation. Yeah, I personally think that I don't know. I'm trying to tell if this is a think or a want. I feel like, you know, there's so many rumors around Bloodborne right now that they don't need to remake Bloodborne. All they need to do, they're familiar with From Software's code, maybe an older version of their code, but. All they need to do is go into the engine, clean up uh, maybe some of the assets, some of the textures, make it run at 60 FPS, bump up the the resolution, and kind of the same thing that they did for the Nathan Drake collection from PS3 to PS4, uh, but this with Bloodborne from PS4 to PS5. Uh, clearly, there's there's something going on with Bloodborne with all these rumors. Maybe not. But I feel like that's that's the move. And that would be a nice in-between project for them. But again, the other reoccurring rumor is this Metal Gear Solid remake that uh, Chris Chris mentioned. And maybe maybe that is the move. Um, that would be so cool, man. I would be like so, so excited. But the last thing I would say is just the thought of some older, you know, Sony first party stuff. Uh, resistance would be definitely very cool um something like that i gotta wonder if maybe the way that they can kind of 
you know, there's always discussion about should Blue Point be able to make their own game at some point. I don't know if they're interested in that, but what if they could take Resistance and remake it and do it kind of in a new way? That would be kind of interesting as well. Yeah, it'd be fun. But the possibilities are endless. Yeah. I just think that there are a trilogy of games or a trio of games, you should say, from that era that just are kind of gone now. Infamous, Killzone, and Resistance. So it would be cool to see any of them revisited. But nonetheless, we'll congratulate them, I guess, more officially when it's properly announced. But that's all but clear that it's happening now. Turd Ferguson, our old friend, wrote into us and said, hey, guys, in regards to the acquisitions of Bluepoint and Housemark, I'm curious what the net gain for Sony is. Those two studios already make games exclusively for PlayStation. As Colin always says, why buy the cow when you can just get the milk? I don't see how these two acquisitions move the needle for most people. Nintendo and Microsoft aren't affected by this. And the only thing that changes on PlayStation side is that these two studios go from being second party studios to first party studios. There's no net increase when it comes from their output of exclusives. This is an interesting point. I don't know if it's a good point, but it's an interesting point in the sense that I've been thinking about this too. What I've been thinking about specifically is the is how everyone just hook, line, and sinker, not everyone, but a lot of people, take this Sony marketing bullshit about how there is no difference between first party and second party games. Is that right, everyone, that there's no difference? Because that's so strange <laughs> that there's no difference between a first party game and a second party game. It seems like the two second party exclusives just had their studios purchased and made into first party studios. So clearly, when Herman Hulse says there's no difference, that's a load of shit. And that should also be called out in this, I think, deluge of positivity that we're heaping on Sony right now, which is great. I mean, I think these are, uh, I mean, I've been saying this for years that they should buy these teams. So this all comes to fruition and makes a lot of sense. But God, can, can we, Dustin, can we just acknowledge that there is a difference and that when you say bullshit like that in comments or in tweets or whatever, you just sound dumb? Because, of course, there is a fucking difference between you owning the team and you merely owning and funding an IP. And if there was no difference, then Turd Ferguson is certainly right in the sense that why would Sony even be interested in buying Housemark or Bluepoint? The only answers that I can think of in retort to that is that they were being courted to do other projects by others, which maybe is true. But even then, Sony could just be like, oh, we'll just give you more money for your project. Oh, Housemark, you've already made like 17 games for us. There's no difference, though. There's no difference. So, Dustin, d- does that resonate with you? That that may when that when this happened, I'm like, oh, what a load of horse shit that was. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that maybe I'm not saying that he's right, but Herman, I think, was just trying to. In a bad way, say like, oh, no, our first and second party content is just as good you know the second party stuff that we hire is is this of the same they're part of the family when you when you you know see returnal which at the time second party we're treating it as a first party i don't think he explained that very well but i'm guessing that's kind of what he the what the point that he was trying to say but it is kind of interesting what turd brings up here is that's like you know they why why buy them but i think that clearly yeah it's different. You when you're when someone's second party, they have to negotiate terms. Like what 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 are you going to provide for us? What's the time frame? Um, can we do it within this budget? And totally different contractual world when you're dealing with second party. And it's one of those things that it's like if you're you know in sync and doing the same, you know the the culture's good. And why 
continue to deal with any kind of red tape or legal stuff and just seal the deal. Yeah. Chris, did this strike you at all as strange just based on Herman Holst's kind of insistence that and talking, by the way, specifically about Demon Souls and specifically about Returnal in these in these contexts. And then they just go and buy the studios like to me, that was just (laughs) that kind of belied a deeper bullshit level for me than I think people get like everyone really likes Herman and I like Herman too. He's always been really nice to me in person. He's a really he's a gamer. He knows he understands things, but I don't know how deep his media training goes and he's kind of getting himself into some of these little these little uh, quibbles. I, I get the the issue being taken with it, but at the same time, I do I do think it was meant in the way that Dustin kind of was talking about it, where it's like, yes, yeah, Spider Man at the time, right, was not was not a first party, right, right. So like, and that game was fucking exceptional, like amazing, and I, I think that's really what he means. It's like the quality of the things that we seek out externally uh, are just as high as the stuff that we produce internally, and I think that's he didn't say it in a good way. <laughs> but uh i think that's what he meant so like it didn't bother me but i i will say the notion of this is is it's kind of bizarre that the only reason to acquire is to the only value in an acquisition is to take something from something else yes i think that's a little i don't know i think that's a little weird i i don't necessarily think of things that way like when i get a like if i get like a really unique car it's not necessarily because I want to take it away from other people. It's just because like, hey, maybe I just want this unique car from for me, you know, and I find value in that. And that's cool for me that I have it. And I think, you know, in this situation, you know, they're already so close that, yeah, you're not taking anything away from anybody. But should that be the goal of an acquisition? I get that you maybe want to lock these studios down so they don't like meander a little bit. But Ratchet and Clank wasn't going to come out for Xbox, you know? That's not a thing that was ever going to happen. So, like, I don't know. I just find this uh, the notion of it's only good if you're taking a little bizarre. Mm. I think that's a little confusing. And I don't necessarily jive with that. But I do think it's a little funny that that's a quote of his of, uh, you know, there is no difference because obviously there is some difference, even if it's not huge and even if it's not like you know, particularly noticeable. Surely there's like the convenience of working within your own first party ecosystem is a lot stronger and probably a lot more uh, cohesive and more um, fac- uh, facilitative to like productive, you know, work than it is dealing with like red tape and, and having to negotiate and like, oh, you know, there's this partner who's external also wants to handle the PC board of this. And it's like, ah, fuck, uh, never mind. Fuck it. Let's just buy you. Let's make it super simple. I think it's a simplification process. I really think that's all it is. Yeah. You know, well, I think we should prognosticate from here with Sean Preston, who says, hey, Chris Collin and Cross Chris and Dustin Herman Holst's quote regarding studio acquisitions specifically mentioned that they're interested in teams we know well. That verbiage helps us narrow down the speculation when it comes to future acquisitions. After Housemark and presumably Bluepoint, are there other studios that Sony knows very well? Thanks for all that you do. And remember to give that chicken a break once in a while. So I I honestly only think of one studio that's left and it's from. I mean, I think like that's the only team that mm. that I really think Sony knows like that, that they don't own. I think they knew Supermassive like that. I don't know that Supermassive. Supermassive's not available. Like that they have an eight game contract with another publisher. Why would Sony want anything to do with that? So they're done. So Quantic Dream was a possibility. And 
that went really south as well. That actually really went south with Beyond Two Souls. I just think that they signed a three-game deal with them. So that's done. So From Software is the only one left when you think about, you know, Ready at Dawn's gone, right? They're with Facebook now. So you just kind of pick off all these second party, these traditional second parties, and um, that's all that's left. From Software, that's an interesting... I don't know if they want to be bought. You know, oh, I don't think already... so either. I'm just saying that's the only one that makes any sense. I don't think they want to be bought either. I should be clear about that. I don't think they have any interest in being bought. It's interesting because they shopped themselves around for Sekiro. They went over to Activision, which was kind of a surprising option. And now they're back with Bandai Namco. So clearly there's something in that partnership that they wanted to go back to. But as far as other options, I think, Colin, you've brought up a good point in the past about how there's just not a lot of first party teams or not first party, a lot of independent teams out there that are kind of left. We've kind of seen the consolidation of the industry. I mean, we've brought up Remedy, but safe to say, I think, are they in the news as well? Obviously, yeah, they're they in have, the news. We'll talk about them in a little while. Yeah, but they're, yeah, off, they're, the they're off the market, I would assume. And yeah, IO is in this field. We also have to understand that Microsoft is apparently kind of probing around as well. I think a lot of people read Herman Holst's quote about we don't just buy any team as kind of a shot against them for that. But I agree with the interpretation that we can narrow down their potential targets if he's really being serious and there's just not that many of them. So Chris, is anything any come to mind for you? Because I, I agree from I don't think from's available. I don't think that they want to be purchased. I'm just saying when you think about PS4's second party games, right? You think about Ready at Dawn, you their studios, super massive, Quantic Dream, right? Like a few others, like Ilphonic, which I don't maybe will be available. I mean, that could be one that they want. They have a huge, by the way, Sony connection and GeoCorsi running that studio. So that could be a connection for them too. But does anything come to mind for you, Chris? No, that that's I think that's why they've put a distinct effort into putting together these 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 kind of like haphazard studios like with haven and what's the oh, what's the other one? Oh, it's uh, the uh firewalk yeah and Man, yeah, if a- only there was like a game to attach to them no. so i could remember them easier um <laughs> i i think i think that's the reason why you're seeing those studios kind of prop up is because it's like i think they're looking around and yeah they might find like an indie here and an, or an indie there or like maybe like something that's like you know that could fulfill some kind of some niche as far as like studios that are like on the market and available for purchase. But I think, I think their, their options, if that is true, are very, very low and very slim. And there's no way from software is ever going to sell, at least not for a while. I don't think like they're, they're on top of the world, you know, everybody's screaming about Elden Ring, you know, and it's, we've barely, we only got a, tra- a single trailer for right. it. So they got nothing to worry about. They're not very good. <laughs> no. yeah, it looks, it looks good. <laughs> It looks fine. Like it looks, it looks like more of what they what they make, yeah. which is what exactly what people want. Sure. So it's like, hey man, they got their wheelhouse and and they're doing fucking perfectly fine. So I, I would imagine that it's more likely that you're going to start seeing kind of new studios prop up. Like, hey, here's Haven, here's whatever the hell that Firewalk, the the, the one with the that starts with the D that I don't oh, remember, Disruptor or dis- um, dis- dis- something. Yeah, I don't who cares. It, it, exa- there you go. Like, it's, doesn't inspire confidence, but I think that's I think that's the the route that they're going, in the absence of many studios left that sony quote knows well i think the only two entities that people or i I guess i should say three entity and i say entities because they're now bigger than just developers that i think people throw into the mix and probably the order of size is konami i know people really want this to happen i don't 
think it's going to happen. Like, I just think Konami is too stingy to let go of their IP. We're going to talk about Silent Hill in a minute. I think they just are happy finding various partners. So I don't think they're for sale. Number two, people bring up Sumo Digital. We were just talking about oh. Sackboy, A Big Adventure. Now, Sumo Digital is just too big. I mean, when Sumo Digital is its own entity now, that is a company that is very familiar with Sony and has worked with Sony for a long time on really big products. But I don't know that they're what Sony wants. That would be Sony's very first ever publisher acquisition, basically. Because Sumo Digital just has a lot of different things going on now. Yeah. And then the third one, obviously, is the big one, which is Square Enix. I mean, people just keep throwing around this idea that Sony is going to buy Square Enix, but that's not going to happen. Sony can't afford Square Enix. Square Enix would be stupid to sell to Sony. And I certainly don't want that to happen. Like, I don't want... Because I do like that these... Chris was saying it earlier, but and someone had written into us about it as well. It's like these don't feel punitive, it, like Bethesda felt to a lot of people because you weren't playing any Blue Point games on Xbox anyway. You weren't playing any Housemark games on Xbox or Nintendo, so it doesn't matter. So right. I think that people kind of embrace these acquisitions too because they they just don't take away from others. And I feel like in any of those acquisitions, someone would lose, and I don't want that for other groups. Doesn't Colin? Real quick, what do you think about the something I was just popped in my mind here is that a lot of people are in the mindset of xbox buying bethesda that you know they're thinking about sony buying publishers in a way we bring up square enix but i feel like xbox's move was sure that there's a lot of talent that they bought a lot of studios but like a lot of that purchase was ip definitely you know because xbox sure they've got halo they got gears they got the the, the stuff they've had for years but they're real light on IP in comparison to Sony. And so Sony doesn't need to go out and buy a publisher with a bunch of IP. That's just not, mm -hmm. they already have really strong and iconic brands and characters. They need to buy teams that can yeah. bring those to the surface again, like blue point, like the, the PC studio that I already forgot the name is Nixus. It's a weird name. Yeah. Nixus. Well, they're Dutch. Great. So who knows what it even, who, who, who knows? even knows if we're saying it right. But yeah, they, they don't need That's it, You're exactly right. Like they don't really need they have so many IP that they, they have literally great IP that is just stranded on like yeah. elderly hardware that they're not even doing elderly anything. With. Elderly. <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous. Like, dude, I'm screaming. Just someone put a fucking resistance out. God Christ. Yeah, it would be a resistance trilogy would just really hit the spot. It is, by the way, astounding that like that would have been one of my first things. You know, like I, I would have honestly, I would have been like, hey, let's put resistance. Let's put the resistance trilogy on PC. You know, I would have did that before Halo got that, you know, yeah. like that would have been I think that would have been smart. It's like, hey, here's resistance. It's been out for a while. Uh, it's a beloved PlayStation IP. It's not really popping anymore. Insomniac's doing their own thing. Uh, Spider-Man, Insomnia uh, and uh, Ratchet and all that. Put this on PC. Get a big splash for that. You know, now they kind of lost that again, you know to the same game that they lost it to the first time. It's kind of, it's kind of a shame. I just want that series to come back. I do too. Dude. I mean, I do too. Above my bed is a resistance retribution poster. Yeah. Like an awesome, you know, so it's like, I love resistance. I, I've always, and my longtime fans know that that's a friend. I actually had to recuse myself from reviewing them because I used to talk those games up so much when I was at IGN. And it's amazing that if you don't count burning skies, which no one does on Vita, the last resistance game came out almost 10 years ago. It would be October and November of 2011, I think. Wow. So it's been a long time. 
All right. Well, so just again, congratulations to Housemark. Congratulations to Nixis. Congratulations to Bluepoint, although we'll go into you when you are officially engaged. But we have more first party news to get into. This was a rumor. Now we have complete confirmation. Number four, Ghost of Tsushima is natively coming to PlayStation 5, and it'll, be, it'll come packing a new expansion to boot, confirming recent rumors and speculation not only about a so-called director's cut leaked by the ESRB, but also the expansion itself. So here's the deal. Ghost of Tsushima director's cut is coming to both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on August 20th. Obviously, the PS5 version will come toting new features like full use of the DualSense, dynamic 4K resolution at 60 frames, and most importantly, the Iki Island expansion. This expansion allows Jin to explore a new island with a new story, quests, and more, and it'll come packing its own trophies. Better yet, if you own the game on PS4, you can upgrade to the Director's Cut for $20, unlocking new features and the new content. Now, here's where things get a little complicated. You can then pay an extra $10 to bring it all to PS5 in the future. So you have some options. Ghost of Tsushima launched on PlayStation 4 in 2020 and was PS4's exclusive swan song from Sony-owned developer Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch, purchased by Sony more than a decade ago, was once known for its Sly Cooper and infamous franchise spanning PS2, PS3, and PS4. Now, I must say, I was right. You guys told me that this wasn't going to happen. And people can go back into the into old episodes. I said that Ghost of Tsushima, The Last of Us, and these others would get native PS5 releases. And we're seeing that, that that's now happening. And probably they might even be working backwards now. And so we'll see The Last of Us Part 2 next, I think. And then it will ultimately maybe end up with God of War getting ported right before the P- the new one comes out and so on and so forth. Maybe Horizon sneaks in there. Yeah. So I want to give myself a little pat on the back as I often like to do. Now, Chris, what do you make of this uh, Ghost of Tsushima? I know you love the game. I love the game. Dustin loves the game. What do you think about uh, this news? I think it's smart. I think this is exactly uh, this is exactly what I said last literally last episode where I was like, hey, listen, they're not going to just port base Ghost of Tsushima to PS5. There, it's going to be in in some package thing with some new DLC thing. Like that's the only way they're going to do it because as it stands, no one's going to pay. No, no one's going to pay for a PS5 version of Ghost of Tsushima. That's just Ghost of Tsushima again. Like they need a reason to sell it again, and it's going to be the DLC, and that makes a ton of sense. Like, and I think uh, this is exciting. I'm like super pumped. I loved this game, and any excuse that I have to come back to it with new story shit. Very, very excited. This is very cool. And uh, I'm a little confused about this pricing thing. Like, so, so what is it like? So here's how I understand it. And people are making fun of it online. And I think reasonably so. If you're a PS4 player. Right. You can download the director or you can get the director's cut content on PS4 for 20 bucks. That'll then bring you up to speed with the PS5 native version of the game, which you can then get for 10 more dollars. So I think that that's how it works. So it's like basically thirty dollars to upgrade and get everything. Okay. Yeah. No, I think right. that's. I think I'm understanding that right. I that's could be right. Wrong. Yeah, I think that's right. The thing that I'm trying to figure out is that okay, if you have a PS5, you put the PS4 disc in, you pay twenty dollars. Can you choose twenty dollars for the director's cut upgrade? And then if you want to do. I think you have to do one version. and then the other. I think you have to do. Uh, that's what my assumption is that you do one and then you do the next. The, the qu- I, hate, I so, hate this fucking version shit so much. I just wish it just read the hardware. <laughs> We're paying ten dollars for this PS5 app version right. of it, which the PS4 version that runs on PS5 is really fucking good. So to me, I'm like, is it worth ten dollars for uh, DualSense features? Like. 
Yeah, I guess that's what you're paying for. Right. right? I guess that's what that $10 well, is. Well, that's why I'm a little, I'm a, I mean, I, this sounds great, but I'm a little disappointed that they're charging for the upgrade when really what they could have done is just said to promote the upgrade is just say, like, we're releasing a piece of DLC. It'll come to both PS4 and PS5. In celebration of that, we are bringing the game fully to PS5. You can just get it for free and then you can buy the DLC on whatever you want for 15 bucks or whatever. Now, Andrew Goldfarb, who I used to work with at IGN, wrote the blog post on, on behalf of Sucker Punch on PlayStation blog. And I did note that it seems light on detail about this expansion, not because they want to spoil it, but because I think and I could be wrong. I feel like this expansion may be more like Festival of Blood size. If you think about the Infamous 2 expansion, less First Light size, which was a standalone Platinum Trophy mm-hmm. expansion of Infamous Second Son. Dustin, what do you, how are you feeling about that assessment based on what you were reading? Because I'm trying to kind of read between the lines. It seems like they're not talking a whole lot about it. Like if it was a big ass expansion which I doubt it is, then they would have probably made a bigger deal about it. And that's why I think they should have just said, we made a 10 or $15 expansion. We're very proud of it. And we're bringing the game to PS5. So download for free. Yeah, I'm kind of expecting it to be on the lighter side as well, though it, the fact that it's a whole new smaller sized island, I'm guessing it'll be short if you want it to be, where if you just play through the main missions, but then there will be all the the collectathon stuff to do as well. I will say... Two interesting points about about this uh, announcement. First of all, it's hilarious to me that they're making it uh, a feature for the Japanese lip sync because that was sorely missing. Like I wanted to play the game in Japanese because I wanted it to be like a Japanese movie. And then their lips just completely did not match. I was like, what? Why? Who would do this? So it's like a it's a feature that they're advertising. I'm like yo, this should have been the case in the beginning because it made it look fucking terrible. Like, don't yeah. don't sell me on that. There's also, like, I don't know if you saw the trailer, but, like, the, the when they showcase the Japanese lip syncing, it, it's literally just, like... <laughs> like, it's, it's like, Muppet mouth movements. Like, it's, it's... I think it's literally just... They have, like, an algorithm tied to each character that's, like, open mouth when sound happens. Mm-hmm. Is what it seems like. It doesn't seem like it's actually like, and I, I mean, like I get it, like lip syncing like that is going to be is a bitch. Right. Uh, so like I, I get it on some degree, but I, I thought it was a little weird to to highlight that as a feature when it, it just kind of ends up looking like literally like anime when it's just like the same exact mouth shape every single. Yeah. For every single word. It's almost. I, I would argue it's it's barely a feature. Oh, yeah. Almost. Right. You know, this should have. I don't know. I feel like that should have been there in the, the first place. The second interesting thing I think to analyze overall is that uh, here's a tweet from Herman Holst just uh, three hours ago that said, one of my favorite open worlds to explore now with even more to see and do in a whole new island. Our director's cut releases will offer all new content and on PS5 will leverage the hardware's advanced features. So remember also that Death Stranding has a director's cut coming. Mm. And we made fun of that because we're like, Kojima needs a director's cut. Clearly, this is a branding decision from Sony that their re-releases from PS4 to PS5 are going to be considered director's cuts. Yeah, well and, said. Well put. And Colin, you brought up the possibility of what other games. Surely, Last of Us Part 2 is the next director's cut game 
or at least in the pipeline. Well, this is what's so complicated about it, because the rumor is, is of them remaking The Last of Us is so stupid because. First of all, the game, again, doesn't need to be remade, and they could actually start doing that in more linear order and get the first one out on PS5 first and then so on and so forth. And this, I got to say it, what I was saying earlier, I mean, this is great news. I loved Ghost of Tsushima. It was so fun. Sucker Punch is a great studio, and they basically pioneered first party first first party expansions for Sony games with Festival of Blood. Like no one was really doing anything like that. But I feel like, well, two things. Why do you have to wring more money out of this? The entire idea of backwards compatibility was that the game would perform in its best possible way. We were making fun of like smart delivery, right? I can't believe I made fun of that for so long because it this is what it is. It's like, well, if the PS5 can run Ghost of Tsushima like this, then you should probably just patch it and make it run like that. And that is the perpetual version of the game. I, I don't understand what you guys are doing. Why? You, and it seems like a little bit of nerve to be like, well, we we're charging you again. You know, it's like, well, I don't want you to do that. And I I find that peculiar yet. I'm, I'm in a little bit of a bind because I want to play the expansion. And so I'm going to try to, I'll just pay the $20 for the expansion on PS4. I'm not going to play it on PS5. I'll play it on PS5, but I'm not going to do the PS5 version. And it's the same thing with Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'll just wait for the PS4, the inevitable PS4 version of that UP DLC. So I, I just from the the marketing perspective it's a little confusing it makes me a little scared of what they're going to do with death stranding and how fucking annoying that's probably going to be but you're right you're absolutely right dustin this does seem like a new branding opportunity for them and so i would expect god of war director's cut and and so on and so forth yeah but uh congratulations to sucker punch getting something out the rumors were true always funny when these things leak and they end up being true number five all right let's now get into some of this more questionable news The recent Silent Hill rumors may have been resolved and you may not like how. Publisher Konami and developer Bloober team have announced the so-called strategic partnership in quotes that will see Bloober vaguely working on one or more Konami related products. Interestingly, neither side's press release says anything about Silent Hill, but recent rumors pegged Bloober as being attached to Konami to help Silent Hill live again. Website Video Game Chronicle likewise has sources noting Bloober is working on Silent Hill and that a Japanese developer is working on something separate using that license. So we know that there are now two Silent Hill games, which doesn't dissuade us of the blue box stuff that's happening, which maybe could be that. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Metal Gear Solid and Castlevania are likewise getting similar outside treatment, though the fruits of that are further off and Bloober is not necessarily involved in that. Bloober team, a Polish studio founded in the late aughts, was once a low budget indie team best known for its Amen series on Vita. It's disastrous PS4 launch window game, basement crawl and more. However, The studio went all in on horror, beginning with 2016's Layers of Fear, and the studio has since created 2017's Observer, 2019's Layers of Fear 2, and 2019's Blair Witch, which are all on PS4, as well as one-time Xbox Series X console exclusive, The Medium, which is due out on PS5 later this year. As for Konami, the publisher has largely been dormant outside of some collections and indie publishing projects, but it seems like that might change very soon. JM wrote in and said, greetings, nerds. What are your thoughts on Konami working with Bloober team seemingly on a Silent Hill project? I think us Silent Hill fans have found ourselves in a monkey's paw situation. Bloober's team track record is spotty at best and doesn't inspire confidence for me personally. Chris, what did you make of this announcement? I think it's a little weird. I actually don't dislike Bloober team as much as a lot of people do, but I also just think it's like Silent Hill seems like a bit huge for them. You know, it seems like, uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of like uh, it's like putting a little leaguer 
with all due respect into like the major leagues it's like you know like it, it i enjoyed the medium genuinely like i was like oh this is pretty nice like it was it was, it was definitely like a, a quieter kind of horror game but i enjoyed it and i had a good time with it but like and i could see like a little bit of silent hill in it it's it's definitely got like some skeleton of that of that series in it i i, I could tell that there's inspiration from it but i, I don't know this is uh bizarre to me especially with all these other rumors with like blue box you know like it's a little a little bit a little disappointing this is what's peculiar to me too and i guess i should read the other side of this before i pitch it to you dustin because we got another letter from michael dudich who wrote in Go and said it. hey boys isn't the reaction of the bluebird and silent hill rumors just excessively negative i count myself among hardcore silent hill fans and bluebird certainly wouldn't be my first choice for the license but why wave them off so flippantly I was pleasantly surprised by the medium, and despite its many flaws, it was already a better Silent Hill game than anything that came out of the franchise after Team Silent has been disbanded. I will say this, if the medium has been a PS5 timed exclusive, it would be an 80 on Metacritic and praise for its handling of mature themes, a compelling story, and honestly, a pretty solid understanding of Silent Hill's DNA. We are never going to get Team Silent at the helm again, and Bloober have made never made a bad horror game. So let's just keep our minds open and wish good luck to every developer who gets the license, shall we? I've been a patron since day one, and I'm, it looks like I may never leave. So thanks for all that you do, and have a good one. And Colin, you pronounced my name correctly, and I really appreciate that. I probably just mispronounced it at some point. <laughs> all right, so uh, Dustin, what do you think of Michael's inquiry here about maybe the excessive negativity surrounding Bluebird? And for Chris's point, I have also heard that the medium is good and that it actually is kind of Silent Hill-ish. And I will also note that I did play and like their 2016 game layers of fear I, I did like it a lot i should note that when i was that kind of funny we had a paid sponsorship with them too but right. yeah so anyway what do you think of of all of this i think first of all i think that the assumption that if this the medium was released on playstation exclusively it would have scored better is ridiculous i just am not a believer in people that think that either sony or nintendo get bumps like i mean in the case of nintendo like mario golf got a 73 last week and I think that's a very fair uh, 73 average, we'll say, if we're talking about scores. So the thing about Bloober um, and the scoring of their games, or I mean, I hate to use the word scoring, but let's say consensus among critics is that their games are always very, very mixed. I'm looking through their scores right now, and there is just a plethora of fours and fives for the medium from, you know, what's considered top critics on uh, open critic on the contrary, though, to bring up the gamer again, their, their reviewer gave it a five out of five stars. I'm seeing a 95 out of hundred nine point three out of 10, like some super, super high. So they're a bit confusing to me because it really seems like, and it goes beyond the medium. I checked this for uh, Blair Witch and Layers of Fear 2. Like, I think IGN even gave Lays La Layers of Fear 2 like a nine or nine and a half. Like, they were real hot. They were that reviewer. That seems and other people. But yeah, to each his own. Yeah. Right. So yeah. basically what I'm just saying is that I think that the the feelings that Silent Hill fans have is is justified. Uh, we This is a studio that their games come out and are extremely mixed and so if you're a fan of silent hill you don't want there to be a 50 percent chance that you like this new game you want a team with yeah. a better consistency working on your favorite or one of your favorite series so i don't know maybe i, I would love to see bloober team 
hit it out of the park. I've never been particularly very impressed with any of their games, but I've also never played one all the way through. So I need to be fair and transparent about that. Yeah, I've only played the medium. I've never I've never touched layers of fear or layers of fear two or I think I played a little bit of the Blair Witch. That was like fine. It was like a fine indie project felt like. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They, they do. They, they are very divisive. And like, I, I know nobody that I've ever talked to has ever agreed on right. their overall scoring of a blooper team game, which is kind of interesting. I think that's that in and of itself is like kind of like an interesting thing about them. But I, I, I can understand why people are like a little bit weirded out because it's such a big IP, you know, like it's not like and not to say that Blair Witch isn't huge, but it kind of isn't in comparison to fucking Silent Hill, especially in the game space. It's just a very different beast. I think what's most puzzling for me is just why Konami can't find or isn't interested in working with world-class developers. They have world-class licenses available, presumably. Yeah. And maybe we're going to find out that Sony is making a Silent Hill game too, and that what that is happening. I mean, we have no idea. but And that would be awesome, but it's just so peculiar if this is happening in a vacuum and we don't know what else. It's just, isn't aren't people beating Konami's door down? Like, why wouldn't you real see if i were them it would be fun to be silent and then come out with a bunch of or not a bunch but a handful of projects from our known licenses all with and and almost like a marvel style we found different partners for all of our games maybe they're going to be on different platforms and come from different places but we found partners and they're just working like they're just this nonsense entity and they they aren't so that's that was why i was so confused by that i was like bloober team it's no disrespect to them but I would have rather them signed a deal to do it exclusively on Xbox with Tango. I'd rather see that than than or go to, you know, fuck. imagine if Capcom made the game. That's the thing. It's like how many world class hard developers are there left? You know what I mean? Like like I maybe five max. Like, I really can't think of many. No, there's not. I mean, we, we discussed them last week. I mean, there's a handful of studios that really do horror. Red Barrels, Tango, um, you know, obviously parts of Capcom and others, but it's just so that's the biggest thing I'm confused about. Or it just kind of feels like as we close the story out, I'll just say it kind of feels like their late treatment of Castlevania. Seems like Castlevania is going to come back, as we noted in a recent rumor. Well, it's not even a rumor. It's just these Castlevania Advanced Collection is leaking on various ratings charts. So we know that's coming, but it reminds me of them working with Mercury Steam on Castlevania. It's like, why are you working with Mercury Steam? Jesus Christ. You know, you're you are Konami. This is Castlevania. Go get it. You know, go do something with it. And now Mercury Steam is making that Metroid game, by the way. Mm -hmm. And people are excited about it. And I'm like, I don't know why. I think you better be very cautious with these with this team personally. But regardless, congratulations to Bloober team, I guess. Chris, this one's for you. Number six. Remedy Entertainment, the studio behind Max Payne, Alan Wake, Quantum Break, and most recently Control, have announced a new Control-related spinoff. The game will be published with Control's original publisher, 505 Games, and will be a four-player PvE game, which they're internally calling Condor. The press release announcing the game notes that the original Control, launched on PS4 in 2019 and since on PS5, has surpassed 2 million copies sold and has made back more than twice its original budget. Remedy, located in Finland, was founded in the 90s. Its first major game was 2001's Max Payne, and the studio later came closely affiliated with Microsoft, with the Xbox 360 console-exclusive Alan Wake coming in 2010 and the Xbox One console-exclusive Quantum Break following in 2016. 
Control Remedies first released on PlayStation since 2003's Max Payne 2 will be followed by a proper single player sequel as well. And 505 will also be publishing that game, though there's no word on timing. The studio is also closely working with Xbox, however, particularly on games within the Smilegate led Crossfire franchise. So this is why I was saying earlier, the studio is clearly just not on the market. Too many intertwining things. Chris, what do you think? So we knew they're making a control sequel. We've we've already kind of known that. Now we know that they're partnering with 505 on it. And we also know that it sounds like they're going to make what I would assume is a Left 4 Dead style control game as well. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I was not going to lie. I was hoping for like more of a single player thing, but uh, it's more control and it's more remedy, which I'm always happy about. So like, I'm not going to complain about this at all, <laughs> especially because like I, I have a feeling I'm not going to be all that interested in Crossfire at all. Like it's it looks fine. It looks like another first person shooter to me. And like, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be pretty at like pretty satisfied as far as that genre goes for quite a while. So like if I get a new control game, I'll play that in whatever capacity that I can play it in because control is great. Control is great. I love that game. Dustin, what did you think about this announcement and kind of Remedy's continued pursuit of profit, which is really great to see? I mean, they're working with a lot of different partners, and I know that their name has just been circulating along with IO and some other European studios as possibly being targets of Microsoft. I just can't imagine with these tendrils that Microsoft would be interested, although Crossfire and some of their projects are already Xbox exclusive, so that would take care of that. But I just can't imagine that they would be taking 505's money while also shopping themselves. Yeah, I think the idea of a multiplayer control, I I mean, instantly I was like, "Eh, that's not what I want. Same with Chris. But I thought about it some more and I'm like, you know, it could be cool. Imagine everybody has control like powers and throwing shit all over the place and, you know, stuff's exploding and stuff like that might be that might be a bit of a wild ride that I could I could see myself playing a couple rounds of. But yeah, I'm. I guess the question is, uh, let's see, will be a four player PVE game. Yeah, I'm just thinking like Left for Dead. Like, like I, I imagine right. it's got to be something like that. With yeah, the, whatever the fuck those you know the, whatever I don't remember any of the names of anything anymore. But I'm, I'm wondering if they're viewing it more as a, a well, yeah, not not a sequel, a spinoff. You wrote spinoff here, so that makes more sense. But yeah, it's a spinoff. Um, Control is getting it. Like I said, it's getting a sequel, a proper so, sequel. Yeah, too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then. This could be fun. I just I'm wondering. Keep um, up, Dustin. Well, no, I'm just thinking about like <laughs> a sequel and a a spinoff. Like, you know, how do these fit in? Do you do the sequel? This this spinoff thing is like a a $30 like bonus thing. Is it t- attached to the sequel? That's what I'm trying to to figure out how the the rollout works. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that. I also am just interested in the economics of it. This is a really fun fantastic example of making games at scale and doing it affordably control costs 25 million pounds or i'm sorry not pounds euro to make that's it 25 million euros that's it stem to stern getting it out the door 25 million bucks and they said that the game made like 70 million dollars so and that was only with 2 million copies sold so they're making something i think sustainable on the lower end where if a game in the 90s sold 2 million copies, that was like fucking nuts that a game would sell that much. And now we're seeing that that's really yeah. nothing. I mean, it's actually almost shocking. Like when we saw that the um, the Outer Worlds 1 sold 3 million copies, I was like, that's it? 
and again, with control, it's so alive in our sphere, and yet it's not really breaking through. So I think from that perspective, it's interesting that they're doubling and tripling down on the IP. But what I'm more interested in is control is so weighted down in a good way by its lore that how does that shine through in a multiplayer game? Because that's what makes control interesting to a lot of people is all the fucking weird quantum break style videos and all of that in the game. So they, they have a lot to balance there. But I think 505 Games is quite eager to continue this. They just made a ton of money on this, too. So congratulations to yeah. Remedy. I'm really interested. To I, see I'm sorry, Chris. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I think they can do it because that that just the 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 raw gameplay of control is like so good to me. Like I I love the way that game feels to play. Just the, the telekinesis in that game is like I think sincerely probably like the best telekinesis I've ever felt in any any game that's ever tried it, even remotely. I think of like maybe like Destroy Humans is like one of the earliest examples of, that I can remember. Or like even like Star Wars Force Unleashed with like, you know, the the you know, picking things up and throwing them and but like control just feels so good so i could see like a multiplayer kind of like arena like cooperative like endless wave actually that's literally what i was asking for in the original control when we were talking about it was like this combat feels really good but every combat encounter feels like it's over too quick i want to like jump around in this arena and just like throw shit around for like a for like a half hour i think it'd be fun so to do that with like multiple players which would presumably mean you know, higher enemy density. That seems like a lot of fun. I think, I think, I think this could be really cool. Um, I'm curious as to how far along this is though. Like when we'll see this. Yeah. It sounds like you know? it's not going to be a while for a while. Sounds like it's a ways. Yeah. Off. I would even almost wonder if the sequel comes out first, although it would be interesting for them to come out in tandem. I'm always interested in, I guess I was thinking about this with factions too. Like, is there some way where you could, like it's like Call of Duty, the campaign and the multiplayer and how people have always wanted it to be separated out and to be purchased separately or to be like buy them a la carte or combined. And it would be an interesting experiment to say like Control 2 and the Control PVE versions both come out simultaneously. You can buy them independently or together for like a discount and just see how you can extract money in that way too. just some some opportunities for them to play around in that middle space. So we'll see what happens. All right. Next up. Number seven, Sony has officially revealed July's free PlayStation Plus games. As always, these titles are free for anyone with an active PS Plus account from July 6th until August 2nd, and you should add them to your download list for that during that period, even if you don't intend on playing them now, as that may change. On PlayStation 5, players will get the leaked and now confirmed native PlayStation 5 port of A Plague Tale Innocence. The action-adventure game first came to PS4 in 2019, Team Asobo, and will be getting a sequel called Requiem in 2022 on PS4 and PS5. Over on PlayStation 4, players will receive Call of Duty Black Ops 4, Treyarch's 2018 entry in the Call of Duty franchise, as well as their cartoonish WWE 2K Battlegrounds. Saber Interactive's very poorly received 2020 release. Remember, PS4 players can also still download Virtua Fighter 5 Ultimate Showdown for free during this month too, which was also available for free in June. Pretty weak month. Anything there for you, Chris? Uh, Plague Tale, I, I've heard, is really great, and I haven't had a chance to really play it. Uh, so if that is... if if that is like a that's a native PS5 port, right? The that's the Plague like Tale proper, port like, is a native port, yes. Okay, yeah. Then I'll probably jump into that. Uh, a lot of people have been telling me to play it, and I think I would like it too. So, that, that, but that's that's really it. I have no, I have no interest in uh, <laughs> WWE 2K Battle. Yeah, that game apparently got destroyed in yeah. the reviews. WWE 2K is just a kind of a failing um, brand at this point, which is surprising. Now that that the original Japanese team that made those games is is gone, but. Black Ops 4 is the multiplayer only one, right? Or am I crazy? Yeah, no. That's the mm, multiplayer yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
Uh, anything here for you, Dustin? Uh, I'm excited to check out Plague Tale. I started that on PC years ago. I was actually playing with Holly, but it was too intense. Like she said, it was stressing her out. Like, okay, I'll drop it. And so I'm going to, I'm excited to go back and play it all myself. All right. So I'm back. We had, a, or I had a catastrophic, uh, it's not really catastrophic, I guess. It's just raining, thundering. It's actually weird. It started raining now. I don't know if you guys can hear it through the mics. You hear it? Oh, yeah. A little bit. It's kind of cool. So I actually went downstairs when I was waiting for the router to reboot and it hadn't even rained at all yet. So the thunder was knocking out something else. And what's annoying is I live in a new neighborhood and all the power lines are buried. So it always makes me wonder, it's like, where? What son of a bitch out there <laughs> has their wire above ground? But if I go away again, you guys will have to finish the show without me because it sounds like uh, we're going to get washed away here. Soon. Cool. All right. In the meantime, Dustin, I want to kick this one over to you, particularly so we can talk for a minute. Number eight. Oh, if you're a fan of the long running Kaseki JRPG series, which we now or which we know as Trails in the West, then there's very good news. Four games from the franchise that have never seen Western release are all launching in the next two years. The biggest announcement of the four is undoubtedly The Legend of Heroes Trails into Reverie, which comes to Japanese PS4s in 2020 and which will see release on PlayStation 4 in 2023. It's a sequel to the Trails of Cold Steel subseries that helped the wider franchise gain Western popularity, and it also crosses into the overarching Legend of Heroes mythos from which Trails hails. From here, we can get into the truly obscure trail stuff fans will really love. Two Japanese-only PSP games, 2010's The Legend of Heroes Trails from Zero and 2011's The Trails of Heroes Trails to Azure, are both getting Western localizations for the first time. Trails from Zero will come to PS4 in late 2022, while Trails of Azure will follow in early 2023, and they're both obviously only on PlayStation 4 for our ecosystem. Both games saw Japanese-only Vita and PS4 ports. The final announcement is in the form of The Legend of Nayuda, Boundless Trails, an action RPG spinoff launched on Japanese PSPs in 2012. This game is more related to The Legend of Heroes slash Dragon Slayer mythos and not Trails itself. It just came to Japanese PS4s last week and will receive a worldwide PS4 launch in 2023. All of these games come from story Japanese developer Falcom, uh, founded in the early 80s and best known for its Ease franchise. Publisher NIS America is acting as publisher. Just, uh, Chris, I'll skip you on this one completely. I won't even put you up to it. Dustin, uh, <laughs> yes. I don't know if you read the interesting stuff about this, that it was a fan translating group that actually helped make these games possible. Did you see anything about that? Oh, I did not see that. I saw all the announcements. I was like, damn, it's a lot of a lot of shit coming for this this franchise. But I didn't know that. That's always cool when that happens. I, I, I like that um, to see the partnership between fans and developers. Yeah, there's like a, a fan group that I guess was translating these as patches for emulators, and they kind of found their way to NIS America, which obviously has their connections with Falcom and so on. So they're bringing those games locally. I think that's that's super cool. It's kind of annoying because of the nature, the late nature of these games. They're announcing games that are coming out in 2023, basically. And we're going to have we're going to start seeing that date more as we move forward, obviously, as we get further into the calendar but it's just so strange where it's like 2023 2023 2023 and then you really think about it and i'm like well it's not that far away I mean, it's a year and a half away it's it's not ideal but i know a lot of people are excited about that and i have to say that all of this support western support actually makes me much more inclined to go back to the trails games and try again because i just mm. feel like there's so much it's not like persona where and i like i think persona is fine but where there's just a few games i know that people want three fes or whatever re-release and all of the rest but i feel like with trails there's just so much and so if oh. you like it if you can get into it then maybe there's a lot to love i don't know we'll, we'll see that seems I could be to talking be talking a big game falcom's hmm? thing is like 
big long running series like uh you mentioned ease of course and then yeah i mean that goes back 30 years trails of trails goes back to the dragon slayer franchise which i think is even older than ease i want to say that that series might even go back to like the early to mid 80s so it's kind of cool you know that that they have all these but i'd have to go look to be sure number nine if you're looking forward to playing grand theft auto 5 then you better keep looking forward because it's going to be a while a reliable source, specifically Tom Henderson, a YouTuber respected for his Call of Duty and Battlefield leaks, notes that the game won't launch until 2025. Apart from this, details are scant, though Henderson states that the game will take place in a modernized Vice City and that the game could even have a Fortnite-like map that can be constantly edited, evolved, and morphed into something new for players. So that's all we have, but considering the source, it's likely true. And the rampant success of GTA 5 spinoff GTA, GTA Online is probably the culprit. The original Grand Theft Auto came to PS1 in 1997 and 1998 throughout the world and was followed by a sequel in 1999, also on PS1, and a seminal third game, Grand Theft Auto 3, on PlayStation 2 in 2001. Widely considered one of the most influential and important games of all time, GTA 3 spurned developer to proceed to release games in quick succession beginning in 2002 with Vice City, and then in 2004 with San Andreas, and again in 2008 with GTA 4. There were DLC packs and other spinoffs too, but GTA hit truly stratospheric levels, with 2013's Grand Theft Auto V at 145 million units sold. It's the second best-selling game ever, only behind Minecraft. In fact, I was looking at the numbers, and GTA V has outsold every Grand Theft Auto game combined uh, up to that point. Chris, what do you think? GTA VI, four years out. Yeah, uh, that sounds about right. I even I even think that sounds um, generous. Uh, like, I, I just... I, I, there was a time where I would have been shocked to have even... If, to, to even hear the news that they would even consider working on it because GTA Online is just so profitable and so presumably easy to maintain that it's just like, why not just continue to make like a boatload of money for comparatively like very little creative output. But this seems about right. Like I, I don't we're not going to play a new GTA game in a, in a, for a while. Like this seems pretty accurate. God, Dustin, I was, I was reading here just real quick that the the just to kind of catch up on this, because I don't play Fortnite, but yeah, the idea of this kind of road, because I know that like, and it's exciting, I guess, for players, like there's things that pop up in the world suddenly and like these hints and all that. And it sounds like that's kind of what they want to do, which indicates that GTA six will probably be an online game, which is a little disappointing. But uh, what what do you make of that? I mean, it sounds like they're trying to adapt a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of the big thing that a lot of, uh, developers are chasing this Fortnite ever-changing world every single week. At least uh, when I had played Fortnite, like, I don't know, early on two years ago, which I know this is still the case, that it would be like, oh, this week this happened in the world. And so it's a little different. And then between seasons, you'd see, like, huge things happen, like a fucking meteor hit the island and so there was a big like spot where there was like a meteor crash and then a few weeks later there were scientists that had built uh, a lab within the meteor crash and so it had a new environment and stuff to explore and you know fight in so this could be very cool for for grand theft auto and grand theft auto online players i don't like the idea of an online only grand theft auto but you know maybe maybe they have a static version of the map that exists for their single player. And then they're building it with a changing map in mind for the multiplayer. Uh, Who knows? But again, there's so much money in online. You got to think that they're wondering like, why bother Hmm. in some ways? Yeah. Yeah. I I do wonder though, like 
because Fortnite is so ridiculous and so kind of out there as like a concept and, and like, you know, you got fish people walking around. There's Kratos and Master Chief like fighting each other with like pickaxes and it's, it's kind of nonsensical. So like I wonder how they're going to change a map like Liberty City in any way that's going to feel grounded at all in reality that isn't going yeah. to feel like because I feel like a multiplayer Grand Theft Auto in that style would just ultimately feel like Saints Row or something, you know, like it almost wouldn't even be GTA in the same way anymore because uh, GTA 5 or Grand Theft Auto Online has evolved over time for sure, but never to the degree where you're like going to see a meteor crash into the middle of the city and, and it's going to be like, you, you know what I mean? Like th there's a level of groundedness even with the absurdity of GTA Online that's like, I wonder even if you could even really convincingly do that without just completely shattering what the game is. As I understand it from these rumors, I guess Rockstar's initiative with is to make Vice City modern in order that it doesn't get stuck being with them being unable to alter it to the time. So it seems like they're trying to plan this thing to be like some sort of palette in which you just constantly paint and paint and paint and by removing see the disappointing thing to me is like why are you taking vice city out of the 80s why not just stick, stick with san andreas because you have like the best of all worlds there you have the city you have the landscape you have the, the beach and the water and the beautiful women and all the things that you want to put in the game that was the advantage of vice city but it took place in the 80s so if you take vice city out of the 80s i don't even know that it's very interesting it's just miami it gives a shit i mean really right so yeah, we'll see what happens. Just an early rumor. We'll be talking about that for years, I'm sure. Number 10, Square Enix has wholly embraced its past in recent years, so it should come as no surprise that it's planning a substantial expansion of its so-called Mana series. In Japan, the series is known as Saiken Densetsu, and it started back in 1991 when the original game, which we, we received in the West as Final Fantasy Adventure, came to Game Boy. It was later remade for Vita and launched in 2016. Its 1993 SNES sequel popularized the series globally, known in the West as Secret of Mana. Super Famicom exclusive Trials of Mana followed in 1995, though a remake came to Western PS4s in 2020, while Legend of Mana came to Western PS1s in 20, 2000 and PS4 just a week or two ago. Sword of Mana came to GBA in 2003, Children of Mana to DS in 2006, Dawn of Mana to Western PS2s in 2007, alongside Heroes of Mana and DS, etc. As you can see, Square Enix has been re-releasing and even remaking the older games for about five years, and in a Japanese-language stream, they announced an all-new console game, though it's also apparently a ways off, more imminently, however, they revealed a Legend of Mana anime-based ba uh, anime series called The Teardrop Crystal, and it's also a ways out. I know you're not into this, Chris, so I'll just ask Dustin again. If I don't know if you are either, Dustin, but um, what I find interesting about this, and I, I don't feel like people are talking about it too much, is that they announced they announced a new game, and that's pretty substantial because all of the Mana games we've been getting are remakes. Right. We never got some of the, the old games that they've been porting and remaking in recent years, so this is exciting in the sense that it actually expands the the lore for the first time, I think, since Dawn of Mana and Heroes of Mana um, back in 2007. So that's somewhat interesting. And Square Enix is showing a real propensity to kind of go back to these. And it makes me excited because it makes you think like, hey, do you guys remember Front Mission? Hey, do you guys remember Tactics Ogre? Hey, do you guys remember Brave Fencer Musashi? And so on and so forth. So what do you think about about this uh, initiative? Yeah, I think it's cool. I I've never played one uh, uh, like a Mana game before. Other than I played some of the original on uh, the Super Nintendo classic. Mm -hmm. I remember that remake they did of that. Some people thought was a little more budget than they would yeah, have liked. Yeah, it's a little mobile. Yeah, it's yeah. a little mobile style. 
So, but clearly the series has some kind of legs and they've seen success in these remakes. And so for them to dip their toes back into a new entry is exciting. And I think you're onto something, Colin, in that Square Enix may be interested in exploring their their wide array of dormant IP. Dude, I would murder a man for front mission. I could come back. Like I love front <laughs> mission so much. And that is a series for people that don't know. It's a strategy RPG series that began on Super Famicom. And we got a couple of them, a few of them in the West on PS2, etc. Uh, PS1 as well. And we even got the port of the original one on, on Game Boy Advance at some point. Or was that the S one of those? But it's a great strategy role playing game where you play as mechs and you like you have a pilot, but then you have mechs and you upgrade your armor and all the different components of it. And you go into the maps and fight. And it's just very, very good. And almost like a, a advanced war, but way more complicated. And so mm-hmm. I would love to see them return to that. And I used to love Brave Fencer Musashi. I, I loved that game. And they did do a sequel on PS2, but I never played it. So yeah, it's just, it's exciting that they might be in, you know, and we even see this with the Final Fantasy collection, although they're not coming to console necessarily. Although I feel like they probably will, that they want to go back and they want to do it right. I mean, that's kind that was kind of cool. I think we shat on Square Enix quite a bit rightfully so about the whole final fantasy mobile thing but they are they are even taking the old shitty versions down i I was reading which is awesome so it seems like maybe they're turning up a page and want to do uh respect their their legacy a little bit more which i would imagine i would imagine is half the fucking company you know like that's half of what square enix is is the past number 11 Sony's nearly decade-old, incessantly beleaguered handheld PlayStation Vita may have been put back on life support following Sony's out-of-the-blue declaration that it was shutting down its digital store this summer. That's no longer happening, but as reported by website Push Square, other Vita-centered functionality is turning off as promised. As first reported in May, beginning on June 28th, so it already happened, Vita's messaging system was set to terminate. In true to word, that's what happened. You can now no longer message other players via Vita, read messages on Vita, send invites to most games, and more. Also, as the website points out, any messages you had living on the handheld have also been wiped clean. So if you don't have backups on PS3, PS4, or your app, they are gone forever. So nothing to really say there, but just sad to kind of see them slowly shutting the switches, you know, on the Vita. Last Stand Media, you know, this is how we communicated for all business communications. So we're kind of in between (laughs) things right now. Indeed. (laughs) We use near. (laughs) Number 12, it was well over a decade ago that Electronic Arts and BioWare's Mass Effect series was optioned for adaptation into a film. In 2010, the series' developer, BioWare, revealed that Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers were collaborating on a film adaptation with all of the BioWare players at the time, including Ray Muzika and Casey Hudson, on board as executive producers. Optioning actually began behind the scenes further back in 2008 and has been primarily driven by Avi Arad, who uh, produced the Blade film series, a bunch of Spider-Man films, and other Marvel stuff. You may even recall that there was an official San Diego Comic-Con panel for this movie back in 2011, but obviously it never materialized. Now, thanks to a conversation publication Business Insider had with the game's director, uh, with Legendary direct, uh, Edition's director, Mac Walters, we may have a better idea of what happened and if there's a future for a Mass Effect film or TV show. Walters, who acted as a writer and designer on all three Mass Effect games uh, from the original trilogy, he directed Mass Effect Andromeda as well and directed the Legendary Edition, told the website in part, quote, it felt like we were always fighting the IP. What story are we going to tell in 90 to 120 minutes? Are we going to do it justice? He also notes that it's not a matter of time or not a matter of if, but when a Mass Effect film or TV show uh, gets done. Timing of this news is interesting considering the aforementioned Casey Hudson reveal uh, of his brand new studio just days ago. They're called Humanoid, and they're hiring for their next game now. Casey Hudson, of course, is notable for his longtime tenure at BioWare, 
which happened in two bursts, interrupted by his brief tenure leading Xbox's studios from 2015 through 2017 until returning and then leaving again at the end of 2020 following the, the disastrous Anthem, which came out in 2019 and which saw it plug its plug pulled earlier this year. So on this matter, I'm just curious, Chris, to push it over to you. Do you want to see a Mass Effect film or TV show? I actually kind of feel like a TV show would be cool, but I just don't know what it would particularly be about because I don't I don't Shepard is a is supposed to be your surrogate. He's not really very interesting. So I don't know what you would really do. Yeah, it, they're kind of locked into a weird situation here where it's like Mass Effect is like Shepard's super important to Mass Effect. But at the same time, I think everybody can unanimously agree that the characters are what make Mass Effect really special and really cool. So I, I think you could potentially have like you could potentially have like a Mass Effect TV show about the characters that aren't Shepard. You know, and that might be that could be probably pretty good. I just wonder, like so much of Mass Effect is choice and player input and, you know, making decisions. And there's no question that that world is really rife with like a lot of good lore and a lot of good stories to tell. I just wonder, like, if an episodic series is the best thing to do or maybe like something a little bit more like an anthology type of show like hey here's a, a garris episode and hey here's a story from the front lines here here's you know mer the backstory of like miranda or something right i i really i like i'm not super sure like if there's a really convenient easy like by the by the numbers way of doing a mass effect tv show but i know for certain a mass effect movie would not work like that it's, it's just far too much world building far too much story that you'd have to fucking it would be like, do have you guys ever seen the series of unfortunate events movie with Jim Carrey where they shoved like three Dude. whole they shoved three whole books into like an hour and like thirty minutes and it was just like the most baffling high high octane nonsense that I've ever yeah, seen. That rules. Yeah, I I think a TV show is the way to go, but I think maybe something a little bit more background lore focus would probably be the most ideal way to get go about it. Yeah, what do you yeah. think, Dustin? Man, and Mass Effect make, makes perfect sense for like an HBO show. You know, you've got space, you got drama, you got, you know, you got titties, you got dongs and, uh, you know, yeah. So it just sounds like you could, I mean, I hate to say it, to, but it's like you could do a Game of Thrones style show in space. And the, the, the way I would do it, of course, is not with Shepard, as you guys said, like do a different crew of uh, people that you know have their own personality you can use the world the world is what we want we don't need those characters from the game but i'd love to see something like that happen let me hit you with this idea what about you know like the first contact war or something like a, sh a tv yeah. show about when the humans find the turians for the first time or yeah. when they find that there's evidence of alien life you know that was on mars and and sharon was a mass relay like they can do they can go back and to a more primitive in quotes time of when earth when humans didn't quite know that they were like they they had learned that they were there was something else around, but they didn't really know when they were going to encounter it. And that Turian human conflict is at the center of Mass Effect's story. So it would be cool to do that as well. Stephen Forgione wrote in and said, hey, boys, hope all is well. Casey Austin announced a new studio. We mentioned that. And this is a target. That, is this a target Sony should go after? While he was behind the Mass Effect 3 ending, he also spearheaded the entire trilogy in the original Knights of the Old Republic. It's possible this team will get suitors from all sides of the industry. Thoughts? Keep up the great work it's i don't it wouldn't not an acquisition but a second party relationship would be interesting with these guys is much more tantalizing than 
anything that they've announced so far with any of the groups that they've announced. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I, I think a second party thing would be interesting because here's the thing. It's like this is a studio. This is a new studio. It's just the name. They don't have anything behind them. But Casey Hudson is an is a pretty big name and you know he he spearheaded some pretty impressive projects some really important projects in the industry you know this is you know definitely a studio to keep keep your eye on but at the same time casey hudson what he 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 was at bioware he left and joined and then left you know there's there's reason to maybe not want to go all in on something like this until you can see something more substantial and more concrete out of that team but with that said, like, I do think, yeah, I think a second party kind of, hey, we'll see where this kind of goes. Hmm. I, I think that would be wise to maybe, maybe facilitate, maybe, maybe look into. Obviously, you know, a name is only a name. And, you know, this just because somebody's attached to a studio doesn't necessarily mean that much, but it's better than random. It's better than like, hey, here's. <laughs> Again, no offense, like it's a more tantalizing studio uh, existence than like Jade Raymond uh, leaving Google like and then a week later having like a team set People up. I think and... we're so mean to Jade Raymond. I don't, I don't think we, yeah. I mean, we're not trying to be. It's just it's just a matter of fact. It's just these are very different things. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I wonder, Dustin, what do you think about about Sony trying to kind of get with them on something because clearly they they're hiring and they clearly have an investor or investor so they m don't maybe have a publishing deal yet they might not even have a game so. right yeah I mean Casey Hudson I, I think the, that Steven brought up a great point that a lot of people kind of blamed him for the Mass Effect 3 ending and he was kind of like on people's shit list or whatever for a while I don't think that's fair he he also mentioned he spearheaded the entire trilogy, Nice the Old Republic. And, you know, his back and forth with Bioware is a little interesting, a little telling. You got to wonder if, like, that's a an EA problem that he came back and thought that he they asked him to come back maybe and save things. And then it was like, I can't do that with you guys uh, the way you want to operate or something. So I'm just saying that there's a possibility that that, you know, isn't his fault. But he also had a very ignominious tenure before phil spencer as the head of the xbox studios people forget about that he was he was in charge of xbox's game studios for a, a minute right in between in between xbox 360 and during the xbox one era so we'll see wrap up short one this week number 13 website gamatsu reports rpg pathfinder wrath of the righteous comes to ps4 this fall the website also reports 2d action rpg ender lilies quietest of the nights has been delayed on ps4 and will now come to the console sometime in the third quarter of this year Website Push Square reports Rhythm Games Synth Riders comes to PSVR on July 27th and canceled Atari Jaguar FMV game American Hero comes to PS4 this summer. The website reconfirms that the upcoming Musou Dynasty Warriors 9 Empires is still en route to both PS4 and PS5 by the end of this year. Wizards of the Coast have revealed that Magic the Gathering game Magic Legends, which was in beta on PC and was coming to PS4, has been officially canceled for all platforms, including PlayStation 4. And finally... Publisher slash developer Atlas announced that Persona 5 Royal has surpassed 1.8 million units sold while Musou hack and slash spinoff Persona 5 Strikers sits at 1.3 million units sold. So congratulations to Atlas and Sega for that. Boys, let's not tempt the weather gods anymore as tradition dictates. Six question comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience. We wrap every show up. Remember to support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash last media. We could not do this without you. And we thank you so much for putting us at an all time high over there. We hope you enjoy all of the content.
Gernico wrote in and said, hello, CDC, longtime follower here, been enjoying Colin since the beyond days. Welcome. I was a day one kind of funny supporter, and I am current loyal listener and evangelist of Sacred Symbols. Thank you. My question today is meant to pick your brains on the topic of gaming information. I am starving for a good gaming site other than Twitter. I want to read long form articles and thought provoking takes. Gaming really needs its own academia like film and literature. And right now, it feels like it's in the liminal space of becoming who it is, but it doesn't quite know yet what it truly is. I miss the days of gaming magazines and internet gaming sites when it was actually all about the games. Do you have any recommendations, sites you frequent, or specific writers who write in alluring ways? Apart from a handful of voices like your own, I've really lost touch with who is actually relevant in the industry. Please help me find the scribes and scholars of the industry. I am lost. I don't know if we need to talk so much about the scholarship. I'm more curious, Chris, like, do you go anywhere for games news? There are a couple of websites that I think are actually very good, and I'm going to shout them out. But I'm curious, like, do you go anywhere or are you really absorbing everything from Twitter and social media? Are you absorbing it from YouTube and Twitch, et cetera? Because he's asking, like, who are the players? And I actually feel like there's almost no players in the games media anymore. The players we're, I guess, minor players, but the players are on Twitch. The players are on YouTube. So where do you go yeah, anywhere yeah, that, for kind of that that old school kind of news? In my experience, yeah, like there's a lot of content creators that I go to. Like there's uh, specifically um, a friend, a friend of mine, Skill Up. He's like this Australian dude. He does a lot of like video game reviews, but he also has like he also covers news like I think like every week or something. He'll have like some like wrap up and I'll go to that. And then a lot of the times, to be honest, there are people who will just send me stories. I think probably like listeners of the show will just like send me, hey, did you see this? Did you see that? And like in my message requests on on DMs on, on Twitter or Instagram or otherwise, that's usually where I got a lot, get a lot of information. You know, it, it's almost like this weird kind of like filter where it's like I don't have to go through a bunch of websites. People will show me the stuff that or people will send me things that they think I would be interested in. And usually nine times out of ten, I am. And that's just usually how I get my news. Granted, that's a very specific situation that I'm lucky to be in where I, I just don't have to sift through a lot of stuff. If you're your average person or like just your average listener, somebody who like maybe like works a nine to five who might, maybe wants to keep in touch with the industry but doesn't have a whole lot of time, you probably don't have people <laughs> just sending you news um, in the same way. But I, I, I get around without necessarily needing a website to go to. What do you think, uh, Dustin? Is there anything that kind of is attractive to you or are you, are you a similar way? No, the the scribes are all gone because they're, like you said, on YouTube. Like why? Why well, was one of them? Yeah, you can't make money writing anymore. I mean, some people do and they're I think hopefully they realize they're very blessed to be in that position. But the the real thinkers and analysts are making videos on YouTube. Chris mentioned skill up. He's great. A guy that I really like is Joseph Anderson. He does like really long, deep dives uh, analysis on games that are good. Super Bunny Hop is one that's also thinks about games in a really interesting way. Kyle Bossman is has a new series that I really like. And yeah, the the people that are thinking deeply and have takes on games are are on YouTube for sure. I'll just say from my own perspective. Because there is a lot of academic. I don't watch very much games coverage. I don't listen to any games coverage. I really don't know what anyone does on a video game podcast. I really don't. <laughs> like, I have no idea. I've never listened to one. I don't care. I think that's what makes our podcast unique because I'm not trying to replicate anyone. But I know that he was also asking for websites. And there are two websites that I do want to shout out that I actually think are really good. The first is a website that always comes up on this uh, 
on this podcast and it's push square which is a playstation centric website they don't write too much in terms of op-eds they're not political it's just a bunch of news and it's very granular gamatsu is kind of similar in that sense as well if you just want game announcements but a, a website that has come on the scene more more recently that comes up on our show is video game chronicle mm-hmm. or video games chronicle vgc and it's run by an og british journalist named andy robinson and i highly recommend that site too it's just videogameschronicle.com it's literally just news and they break a lot of news too so if you just want to like that's a site i go to when i write this uh, write the the show push square i go to but i also go to ign kotaku polygon i want to just see what everyone's saying but those are the sites i recommend and they're both owned by read pop and i fucking hate read pop because read pop owns packs and they can eat my asshole and not like it but they no. do own push square they do own vgc they also own other things like um us gamer and a bunch of sites no one reads but i want to give a shout out to those uh guys because i think they're great ross winyard wrote in and said hi cdc listening to your most recent sacred symbols specifically the part about ghost of tsushima being ported to bc got me wondering what the next what the first ps5 title will be ported might be personally i would love to see a port of returnal i'm playing the game right now and can't help but think it's hardcore nature would perfectly suit the ps pc player player base and selfishly I would hope that the inevitable boost sales would help drive demand for another similar project from Housemark. Also, the PS5, capable as it may be, is only able to run the game at an internal resolution of 1080p. It would be great to see what it looks like and runs like on a higher end PC. What Sony game would you guys like to see ported and why? So this is an interesting question. I had never really thought about it. What PlayStation 5 game will come? Dustin, what do you think? Do you think there's any? I actually disagree with him. I don't think Returnal seems like a PC game at all. I actually think that that is very much a PlayStation game in my mind. Really? Yeah, I, I don't. I know that the roguelike aspect of is of it is, but people play puzzle oriented like it, that. Just I guess because it's a house mark game, it just feels like something that's. Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but that's very console oriented. Well, I think the first thing I will say is I don't think we're going to get any PS5 games on PC for quite a number of years, at least I would say two, but I feel like Returnal, that's one that I thought about when I was playing Returnal. I was like, I think I would be much better at this game on mouse and keyboard than on a controller just because it's so fast and twitchy. And I've gotten so used to playing shooting games, we'll say, whether it's first or third person on PC with uh, keyboard and mouse, that, that that's one that I would personally like to see. And in the fact that he mentions that the PS5 runs it at an internal resolution of 1080p. And it is a little questionable if you ask me. So it would be cool to see what, you know, a, a 3080 could do with a uh, returnal. What do you think, Chris? Do you think that Dustin's inclination of us not seeing anything for a while is true? I don't know why I never really considered like PS5 games themselves, because we're, we're so much in the space right now of bitching about PS4 slash PS5 cross-gen games that we never even realized or stopped to think about what the plan was with PS5 slash PC. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be even longer than two years. I think maybe 2025 is probably when we're going to see the, like sincerely like late, late, like into the generation, just because I feel like we haven't even gotten Bloodborne, you know, <laughs> like, right. And what is that? That was at 20, what, 14, 15? What year was that? Dustin knows. Um, Bloodborne is 2015. That sounds 2015. right. Yeah. And like it's 2021 now, it's been six years, no, not even like a native PS5 version of that game, no PC version. So like my first inclination would be like, oh, the first game that's probably going to be ported proper PS5 game to PC, my guess would be Demon Souls, but we don't even have, you know, Bloodborne yet. So like maybe not, uh, we're not even really in a generational 
point right now where we're even getting native PS5 games. Would you consider Ghost of Tsushima's director's cut a native PS5 game? I wouldn't. No, definitely not. That's not a native PS5 game. No, so like we have to wait probably till 2022 because you know Ratchet and Clank isn't going. Ratchet and Clank just like is not. That's just so PlayStation centric. It's hilarious. So like I would imagine like 2022 by the is around the time when we're going to start seeing like proper native PS5 exclusive titles. So you have to assume like three years after that is when you're probably going to start seeing like hints of native PS5 games moving over to PC. Whereas I feel like the the, the next few years are going to be populated as far as the PC space goes by, you know, a lot of PS4 games that like maybe just haven't made the jump yet. And and I think there's a lot of time for that to be done as well. Like God of War, the first God of War still hasn't showed up. Presumably uh, The Last of Us, we saw that leaked document. Uh, not The Last of Us, uh, the Uncharted 4 or whatever. Mm-hmm. We saw that. That is apparently in the cards. So I, I think it's going to be a while before we see native proper PS5 games being ported over to PC. Especially just because we don't know how these things are designed and how well they will they would scale to things that aren't on ssds you know like there's there's a lot to to you know to handle in that space well let's see what happens i i agree basically with the assessment that it's it's a ways off i think that would be kind of catastrophic but it goes back into the the discussion we were having too that some of the second party multiplayer centric cross or or, uh games must cross between ps5 and pc i think we all agree on that yeah i think this one's funny i wanted to get your takes on this Courtney Williams wrote in and said, hey, captains of the SS Steamboat, did you see the Xbox Game Pass memes kicked off by Destin Legary on Twitter? And did you find them funny? It was pretty amusing to see PlayStation fans getting so riled up. Why do you think people are being so sensitive now that the shoe is on the other foot? I have to say, man, I do think PlayStation fans are getting quite sensitive out there right now. I want to just reiterate that just more sensitive than usual. It reminds me a lot of the early PS3 era when people were like, yeah, I want to play Haze and I want to play Heavenly Sword. And you know, it, it reminds me a lot of that kind of era and uh, I'm wondering if you guys saw this kind of meme going on. Microsoft ended up embracing it, which I thought was very funny. Dustin, what do you think? I think it it's funny. I don't, you know, it's cute. Everyone joining in. But at the same time, I, I personally wouldn't have advised joining in just because there are content creators that make some shady, not shady deals, but. There are content creators that make content that is sponsored and appears as real content. So I would not be wanting, I wouldn't want to make jokes about that. Even though I, I think that the whole, you know, the the PlayStation fanboys that were accusing people of being paid by Microsoft to tweet about Game Pass is ridiculous. I wouldn't make a joke as in to say that that's the most ridiculous thing ever because that shit does happen. So it's fair enough. Well, uh, Chris, what did you make of the um, of this? I, I thought it was funny. I actually retweeted Destin. I love Destin. We'll get him on the show soon. Yeah. It, on Sacred Symbols Plus. Yeah. What did you think? It's funny. It, it is funny. Like, look, I, and I'm I don't even think necessarily this is because I didn't really notice all that much of a fanboy reaction to this. I just saw the meme. So I didn't even know where this stemmed from. Like, to me, the biggest like uh, the biggest outpouring of like oversensitivity from the Sony like or, or the PlayStation fan base came when games were being announced for PC and they were just like really angry about it. Like that to me was like the thing that I just couldn't understand. This whole Game Pass meme is, you know, was, I thought it was funny. I thought it was like an amusing little flash in the pan on, on Twitter and on social media. I think, um, look, 
it's just an objectively good value. Like the people are going to, if they're paying attention to the game space, people are going to tweet about it just because it's like, you can't not notice it. And at certain points, sometimes shit comes out like, dude, like when outriders burst onto the, onto the scene, like day one, it was like, that that was a big fucking deal. And even things like back for blood, when, when that was announced as day one, these are big moments, you know, and people are going to talk about them. And it doesn't mean that everybody's just, paid it just means that it's just a common sense like yeah that's pretty good value isn't it yeah i I don't know it's just hard it's hard to put myself in the mindset of somebody who just doesn't understand that you know like because i feel like it's so far removed from the way that i think about this space i agree with you in in especially in the sense of um it seems like a confluence right now like game pass is it the right price the right time the right machine it's existed for a while but it's it's all coming together and it's growing and people have a lot to say about it. It reminds me a little bit to a lesser degree of like kind of the fear around PlayStation Plus. People were really negative about it 10 years ago. And then it slowly became this thing that people just liked and would promote. And I don't think it's quite as noticeable with Game Pass because it's more of a Netflix style subscription. But of course, people are going to be enthusiastic about it. How can you not be enthusiastic about about how can you not be enthusiastic about it? It's very interesting. It feels impossible not to just acknowledge like what it is and how valuable it is to a lot of people and, and how valuable how valuable it is to games in general and this is this is why i'm saying like dude listen the people who like are freaking out about certain games coming to pc on the sony side as if it's like going to like hurt them it's like dude like sea of thieves right now is like one of the top selling games on steam you know even with game pass like in play it's like this is this this is a big deal even if you consider the fact it's like, oh, it's a bunch of sales that don't happen. It's still a heavily populated game, a very popular game that's probably arguably only this popular because it's so accessible to so many people. Right. And it gets people talking about it and it gets like it allows the developers to keep working on it and keep putting more stuff into it. And now it's like a fucking huge thing. I just think uh, th- this fear of uh, I, 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 I would bothers me more than this Game Pass meme or, or just like, the oh, you're paid is really just the insistence that like PC is like a negative thing. Like I just, because that's where I see this mentality really at all, like at the forefront of like the conversation where it's like, oh, this game's coming to PC, but this is our game. And it's like, well, you all bought it already. Yeah. And <laughs> you're right. And I, I think it's because I'm in the industry and I, I just, and I think about this stuff a little bit more than the average bear. So when the PC game started coming, I was like, well, strange but it was inevitable so i i just think sometimes people just don't wrap their minds around the inevitability of some of these things and they don't know how to deal with it and it's certainly new like the playstation fan base is is very touchy right now let's say that they're very touchy right now and i get it but i think the house mark stuff and the blue point stuff will calm things a little bit i think we're going to get a state of play soon we were talking about those cancellation rumors maybe we'll get in august who knows playstation fans stand down Stand down. <laughs> Jamie Milligan wrote in and said, hey there, my sweet boys. The other w- week, while Dustin was talking about the Yuffie story DLC for Final Fantasy VII, he briefly talked about how rarely this type of DLC is actually equal to the price. So my questions are as follows. What story-based DLC has actually been worth it for you guys? And is there any time, or any, I'm sorry, that you haven't played but want to get back into? Personally, I'm replaying Mass Effect 3 for the first time in years, courtesy of the Legendary Edition, and I can now, and, and now I can't believe the From Ashes DLC was separate making me firmly believe it was part of the original package. And the Blood and Wine expansion for Witcher 3 is probably the best part of that game. 
keep up the amazing content and keep those sp- spicy sacred symbols pluses rolling out. We will, Jamie. Thank you for writing in. This is an interesting one for me too, Chris, because I am of the mind. There have been, I, I like the standalone expansions, like the aforementioned first light expansion for infamous, because I feel like I'm not, it was actually kind of similar with Wolfenstein's expansions too, where they're, they're just on their own. So I don't feel like I'm missing anything or I have to go back and play the old game and then find the place on the map to go. I, when, when DLC packs are released for games I've already played, I very rarely go back to them. That's why it's so exciting to go back in the future to Witcher or go back in the future to these other games and um, like Spider-Man and experience all that stuff again that I just, so DLC is just not attractive to me. I think, what do you think? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like usually like it's really like control. That's the one where like, and I haven't played the DLC for Control, but I want to. And I remember, like, I booted up Control again, and I was like, but it's it's the new version that runs super well, which is the only way that I'm going to play it, and I have to beat the whole game again to play, you know. And it's just like, ah, damn it, I wanted to do this, but I don't, wanna, I don't know if I want to play Control all the way over again when there's so much else to play. But that's the only thing that I was, like, looking forward to as far as DLC. Usually, single-player DLC is just not enticing to me because I'm just wondering, it's like, I think about the Spider-Man DLC, which just in my opinion was very lackluster and very like, it just felt like a massive afterthought to the point where I'm just like, why not just take these story beats and flesh them out in the sequel? Like I would more than happily wait for a better version of this in a few years than just get this weird kind of sloppy kind of like additive ingredient to the game especially after such a strong finish you know like i just find that too often it doesn't feel substantial enough for me to go back and play and when it does i just kind of wish it was part of a bigger sequel anyway so like usually the the stuff that i care about as far as dlc goes is like multiplayer stuff and obviously expansions for like destiny that bring new like weapons and shit and like that's that's fun and there's like seasonal stories and like i i I get it with live service like that's the whole model is dlc and like you kind of like expand on it and and expand on it and you take cycle stuff in cycle stuff out but as far as like single player dlc i'm just it didn't it rarely ever grabs me you know yeah where where is your mind on on this one dustin because i (laughs) i'm almost loath to say this but I would rather these studios have the DLC ready to go immediately. I know that that would really put people off. That brings us back 10 years or 12 years when people would argue that these day one DLC packs were ready to go in the main game and they got split off. And that might be true, but I don't mind the idea. Like when I think about Fallout 3 and the five expansions for that, I wouldn't have minded if they were up front just like, listen, just pay us another 20 bucks. We'll give you all this stuff right now. And then you just can yeah. experience the entire game. How do you feel about that? And what, what do you think about DLC in your own life? I don't know if I like that just because I think that it's DLC is sometimes a unique opportunity for developers to improve on the original product based on consumer feedback. Um, so having uh, that time in between uh, is could be valuable. But I, I also see your perspective on that as well. As far as my relationship with DLC, I overall don't really like DLC, mainly because like what Chris said, by the time it comes out, I've already moved on. Um, but there are some exceptional uh, exceptional products out there as far as DLC. I think that From Software always has great DLC. Notoriously, Dark Souls 2, a lot of people consider that the DLC, it's worth suffering through Dark Souls 2 to play the DLC because it's 
way better than the main game. And then, of course, there's like Red Dead Redemption Undead Nightmare, which is like it's so different from the regular game. I, I love that. I love DLC that can go completely balls to the wall wild uh and something that's like a, that is that a standalone that's a standalone right yeah that is a standalone. true yeah it I, is I remember a... we gave it a we gave it a 10 at ign i remember whoa 10 out of 10 damn yeah. but yeah so you know it, it's really hard to say there's other dlcs that i've bought like right this ufe dlc i'm kind of a little mixed on right now because i'm like well i'm trudging through another shinra facility uh, it is different than ones that I've been to before, but it looks the same. I feel like sometimes too often, I don't want to say they're asset flips. That's that's too mean. But, you know, sometimes it's just like, do we really need this? Like you said, like, I would have rather them kind of spent that time just working on part two, you know? Yeah, I think Chris is right there. I, I, I understand that the idea games sell in the first few weeks we always say that and then the game sales disappear and you want a reason to go back and get people to buy it again but you also want a reason to make your game of the year edition your complete edition all those kinds of things i know that that's all part of the marketing plan and i get that and that helps pay for video games but yeah to me i just want the uh, uh, see like the yuffie dlc is interesting but i'm just like i'm, I'm kind of over this now you know i, I don't I don't really it, it almost reminds me of when I played Walking Dead and then the 400 days DLC came out or whatever. And I'm like, ah. I played it, but I was like, this is kind of like this is random. Where did this come from? So, right. I think they have to figure out the better calibration. I actually think it depends on the game, too. And I do agree that part of the reason why going back to games later is so exciting is because you get to experience the DLC within the world, having never known that it wasn't there, which I think is always the best. And that's just another reason why you should probably not buy games when they come out. Unless they're my games. Gerson Mercado wrote in and said, Greetings, CDC. This is directed to Colin, Smashburger, customer of the decade. Thank you. I have a six-year-old son who's obsessed with Minecraft, and one day while playing it with him, I realized the trophy list read not one, but two sets of trophy lists. The second title of Minecraft set two on PSN profiles even. Why a new set? Is it due to Sony limiting a certain amount of trophies per game before breaking it off to a completely different list? I know DLC tend to have their own list, but usually within the main set. Have you seen another example of this prior to Minecraft? Well, thanks for the great work. You, Chrissy, and Dusty have been providing. Enjoy your week. Thank you, Gerson. Wanted to speak to this real quick because this is coming up more and more. Minecraft is not the only game that did this. I do believe that The Elder Scrolls Online has also done this and a couple of others. But PS3 and then PS4 games could only withstand. So people will remember on PS3, all of the DLC lists were their own lists. And well... Let me even go back further. Let's do a little trophy history. First, when trophies came out, the platinum trophy counted towards the 100% completion rate. Then when DLC started getting trophies, those trophies counted towards the 100% completion rate, but not the platinum trophy. Then they split those off and stopped counting them as 100% lists. But there's only so many, so much room for so many points. And eventually they have to split off and make a all new list. And it's, as, as I understand it, they have to get permission to do this. And it's not a problem on PS5. So you won't see it. Uh, when Minecraft comes forward. So just to answer your technical question, Gerson, I hope that that does. Minecraft is one of the few games that does it. Um, and when your son plays on PS5, inevitably, you'll see that those lists are are um, contracted. And finally, let's end on a, on a positive note. Hayden Plymel wrote in and said, hi, all. I was thinking about this the other day. And do you guys remember Kevin Butler? I used to love those commercials as a kid and as a developing PlayStation fan, Kevin, Marcus, etc. Do you feel that these sorts of marketing personifications and characters were valuable to the brand? 
with Jim Ryan lacking the celebrity or charisma of previous CEOs, can we see the return of this particular style in advertising? Kevin's out, of course, due to a breaching contract, but I miss the tw- I miss the spirit of PlayStation we saw in the PS3 era. We had a mascot, reality TV, some weird sort of demo bus, etc. It was true. In a roundabout way, I guess I wanted to explore your thoughts on what this company can do to enrich its culture and overall consumer engagement for better or for worse. I think PSX returning is a start. As always, thanks for a great show and happy fourth. So, uh, Dustin, what are your memories memories of Kevin Butler? Yeah, Kevin Butler, man. That was, I will never forget that E3 that they actually brought him out. Yeah, it was awesome. Because I remember it, I was predicting that, like, wouldn't that be awesome if, the, if that, and it did, it happened, which is so funny. Right. And it, it sucks how that all shook out. Like, he, well, he was on a Wii commercial. No, right? he was on, mm-hmm. no, this is the, as I understand it, he was on like a Firestone commercial or something where they play the Wii. Yeah. Oh, and right. I think that's what it was. Like, I don't think he even did a Nintendo commercial. I think it was like there was a Wii in the ad and there was a breach of contract and they fucking cut him. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And I thought that was kind of wild. That was, he was nowhere to be found in the PS4 era. Like, that was a long time ago. Yeah, it is unfortunate because I feel like, I don't know. It, I don't know if he lines up with Sony's brand image now, right. but at the time and place, like those ads were effective when when they were talking about the connect and they were like, Ooh, pew, pew. Resistance. like they're, yeah, dude, that was I mean, that was awesome. But I think that uh, Hayden brings up a great point about overall consumer engagement for better or for worse and brings up PSX and man, PSX fucking ruled. It was the best show that I'd ever been to and I wanted to come back so badly and it's one of those things that Sony can't quantify the value of PSX. They can charge right. people $60. They can look at how much it costs them to put on the event and that's fine, but they can't quantify what that means as far as like, okay, all those people that come are your mega fans. They have the time of their lives. They play all these games that then they go buy later and they tell their friends about the awesome games they saw. And then they go by and you can't quantify that, but it's something that's important. Um, and I think that's something that as you see Xbox leaning into is this fun stuff that mini fridge, the mini fridge is as silly as it may be. That's something that is really cool for their fans. Yeah, and it is. It is cool. It, it draws them closer in to to this, you know, the the branding. Which again, it's they're all corporate entities that want your money. We that's not lost on me. But there's something to be said about uh, doing that fun stuff for for the most hardcore. Yeah, I I like what you said about Kevin Butler serving a, a uh, during the PS3 Slim era, which was where Kevin Butler really comes from, and also PSP Marcus. These characters come from an era where it was about comedy and kind of trying to draw people back in. And PlayStation didn't have the reputation it has now. People no. still kind of connected it with, well, it's still connected with Ratchet and stuff, but it was, it was not, it was more comical and gaming fair. And now it's very dire and very serious. So I, I don't know that, that that would work for them anymore. But I thought it was kind of like weird how he was just thrown away and like how, like who gives a shit? You know, like, because I think the argument was like, people might think that's Kevin Butler, you know, and it's like, oh, my God, man. You know, he's an actor. We all know he's not really the CEO of whatever they would say he was the CEO of in that commercial. Because remember, that was the big thing, like CEO of whatever. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So it was cool. But yeah, Chris, what do you want to see from Sony? Like we were talking a little bit earlier. They they did hobble some of their greatest assets. And, you know, Geo Corsi's gone. 
you know, Shuhei Yoshida, who the hell knows what happened with him and others, and they don't have a really strong ad presence. I will note, though, that some people internally didn't like those Kevin Butler ads. I know Insomniac was really mad about the Resistance 3 ad, and they, they actually blame it for the game not selling as well as it could have because they they made it they said it made it seem like it was a move game uh that like oh. needed the move and they were really mad about it but so it didn't always work out for them but what what do you think they need chris to kind of heighten this uh, get back that that feeling that let's say that 2009 to 2015 playstation i don't know if you can get that back i i think a post last of us 2 sony is just like like i don't know man like there's something so depressing and dire about their their biggest ip then i I don't know if you could really i don't know if there's room to have fun which is kind of sad uh because like i loved kevin butler i thought he was like even back when i was like you know firmly entrenched in the xbox ecosystem i had like very little to do with uh, with playstation those ads were always a treat like even even uh, over on that side of the aisle where people like i like this guy a lot this guy's funny this is fun to watch and i like the presence that they have over there but you can't even try to recapture that because it would almost kind of seem sad and and kind of like, oh, they're trying to, you know, it, it would almost be like people would be aware that they're trying to recapture that. Sure. So they kind of lock themselves in a position where they can't really go back to that. But at the same time, I don't know how valuable it is to stay in, in the spot that they are now with like no real personality and no and no real presence outside of this disembodied state of play voice that you know means very little to anybody it's it's a really rough situation because it just sort of feels like they've appled themselves in a weird way yeah it's it's that's a good point i feel like i don't know like it, it would be funny in some way if you just turn on a commercial and it was like kevin butler again <laughs> as if and they're like you know like he's just at his desk or like some it's the same guy it's some they they wink and nod at it but i also understand that this is such insider as shit no one cares about kevin butler and sony can sony can market i mean guy longsworth i think or long i think that's his name he was the marketing guy at sony for a while and he was not very good but they the people before him and the people after him have been doing a pretty good job and they can do more iconic stuff like you know the painting like the delaware washington crossing the delaware style painting they did of the guy with like all the playstation characters like they should do more stuff like that and I think maybe focus on merch and focus on it, it goes to what Dustin was saying. The, the the fridge thing is just an interesting example. It's like, why don't you have a customized controller store? Why don't you have the ability to PlayStationize anything you want? Custom face plates like I know it's not a big money maker. Yeah. Neither is merch. You're a multi-billion dollar international corporation, but you have to do these little things. And it's it is the unquantifiable nature, as, as Dustin said, that is most key so it's it's indeed. it's cool to have services like that too you know like just the, the controller thing is so cool like i made one i'm like because over on the xbox side they have that design live and I, I made one that that is the same color scheme as like the ps1 dualshock the the ps1 analog stick controller where it's like the gray and like the, the like the the black uh and it's it looks fucking awesome and I'm i'm happy that i can just do that and even just things like that they're a little more like consumer oriented i think would be like a huge a huge boon for them like as far as like being seen as like a a brand that's a little bit more fun because right now i feel like the vibe right now is like that they're, they're very kind of hoity-toity and very like very like yes we're playstation 
that's the way it comes off you know for sure. and it's i don't know if that's think about think about this the indie stories and all of the rest it all kind of contributes to this this very weird mystique yeah. that's not likable at least i got my uh my playstation my, my memory card oh your memory card opener. yeah that's awesome oh. i love that oh those were the days all right. Well, that's all we have for this extended episode of Sacred Symbols of PlayStation Podcast. I thank you guys so much for your time. Dustin, do you have any closing comments before we go? No closing comments other than uh, between this episode, next episode, Colin, you and I will uh, be meeting in, yep. in the real world. It's very so, rare when we meet, when we come together. Yes. Yeah, so. so it'll be exciting. Very excited. Also, happy 4th of July to all the listeners yeah. out there. Yeah, we're recording on Canada Day. So happy Canada Day. And of course, yeah, 4th of July is coming up. It'll go. This will go live after 4th of July for the public. But right. But yeah, we hope you had a safe time. And, and well, Chris, do you have any closing comments? I, I, I dude, my allergies are fucking destroying me like out of nowhere today. Well, so I'm probably going to. So you're going to go eat. I'm, I'm, <laughs> what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to go uh, uh, inhale a Zyrtec. Oh. And maybe pass out so yeah. that maybe I wake up and I can breathe again. That'll be fun. That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, appreciate you guys and appreciate all of you out there for your love, kindness and support of our show. Thank you for supporting us on Patreon or on free feeds. You're welcome anywhere. And of course, uh, we appreciate every one of you for spreading the word and for listening to Defining Duke and Knockback and all the rest. So we'll see you for more Sacred Symbols next time. Of course, Sacred Symbols Plus on Patreon. Until then, goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash laststandmedia. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you. Andrew Morgan, Gregory Slavinsky, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenko, Miguel A. Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLVFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Diamore, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, George Ghazi, Christian Rodriguez, Jod Rita, Kurt M. Gillenberg, Patrick Skipper, Brian Hernandez Espinoza, Anthony Fuentes, Sweaty Mitt, John Russell, Jordan Andow, Maverick Mazel, Chris Kelly, Andrew Meister, Evaristo One, Dustin Graff, Israel Pena, Peyton Stone, Robert Toe, Josh Hallen Rui, Corbin Dallas, Tyler Watkins, Troilus True, Dan Root, Evan Barr, Tal- Randall Halsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukum, Jimmy Dean Man, William Holbert, Dr. Stump, Josh Godfrey, Colleg Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Callan Lennon, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Caleb Sittler, an unofficial controller podcast, Ethan Davies, Jay Getter, Jeff Mercado, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Gavin Newland, Lockmort, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Raul Melendez, Eric Harden, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnams, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Rinsler526, Ben B, TB Lightning, Anti Kinnanen, Taylor Barkley, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Evan Dalton, Chris Buston, Zach Allum, George Anthony Nunez, Kyle Hagel, Christopher, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naiman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, D.B. Cooper, Cody Bradbury, Tom Cargill, Richter86, Steve Hodge, Hofeldian, Ian Bravo, Noah J. Stevens, Barrett Boswell, Andrew Parker, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Komaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto24, Blake Israel, Jonathan Coates, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Brian Chan, Jay, Organic Produce, Travis Archuleta, Shane St. Pierre, 
Pierre, Carlos Algarit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Donnie Nolan, Josh Yeager, Turbo Makes Games, Matthew Cooper, Dan Parsons, Martin Beck, Gavin, Brian Watkins, Joe Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McParlin, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Brody Rainey, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, David Everett, Eric Finkenbeiner, Lou and Ray Loper, Dylan Burns, William, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, Zach Binkley, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Yusuf, Anton K., Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zuniga, Sean Battershall, Max Lazos, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, Kyle Thomas, James Kinslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Phil Crone, Throw7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, David Mann, Petro Rose, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, Paul Joyce, Chad Lewis, Matt Hazelbaker, Todd Paxton, Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Shane Rayum, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Carson Peterson, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Mad Mock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. So Dustin's gone now? Uh, you're here for, you're both here for me. Chris, or, or Dustin, are you there? Because you're not there for me. Colin says offline for me. This is fucking crazy. I see, so I see both of you. I, Dustin, you can't see Colin? I cannot see Colin. He says Colin, offline. you can't see Dustin? No. Oh my God. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.